this uh, this meeting of the Board of Trustees are a little overall. Trustee DeVries. I'm here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Hernandez. Here. Trustee Avalado. Here. Trustee Bupet. Here. Trustee Charland. Here. Trustee Chiquin. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. And Trustee Peterson. Here. We have a vote. All right. Um, I'm actually going to um, shift the agenda slightly right now, uh, just for the interest of all of the people that are lined up to speak, um, because I um, I just wanted to make a couple of comments. So I'm going to do my board president report right now, uh, and then we'll go to public comment. And, and I think with my report, um, I basically want to just set a few things uh, for the record for folks. Um, um, we're going to be considering an item tonight regarding the San Leandro licensing. And at our last meeting, we had a great discussion about it. Uh, and our staff and administration made some projections and some predictions about what the impact of the decisions that we make would be. And, and among those, uh, one of the impacts that they talked about was labor and union representation, in particular, of uh, the nurses that serve at San Leandro. And uh, I was asked to meet with Supervisor Chan and Representative of the CNA uh, recently, actually the day before Thanksgiving, um, and to, to relay some of the concerns or to hear the concerns, uh, and I'm not sure who might be here tonight to speak to that item, but I just want to let folks know that um, although our staff or the administration made um, some uh, uh, predictions or, or, or statements about what might happen, uh, I, I want to clear for the record because we received a letter from the CNA uh, that made some assumptions that we were saying that, that we were supporting these things happening or that these things would happen, and that's just simply not true. Um, this board and this organization and our administration have no interest in violating or ending our MOUs. We really value our partnership with labor. Um, it can be challenging at times because we work and live in a very challenging environment, uh, but the, and the licensing issue that's come up is, uh, was as much a surprise to us as it was to everyone else. Um, but um, just because we've predicted that there may be concerns down the road about representation, we have no interest uh, in initiating that conversation or, 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 or suggesting that that conversation has to take place. We, we understand that our, our union, uh, our partners, uh, can be represented by whom they're represented by right now, and they can, they can work side by side as, as many of us do. And I just want to make that really clear as part of our president's report because um, I think it's important that people know that. Uh, the second thing I want to say, and I do have about five speakers, uh, they say non-agenda. I just still want to remind people that we're trying to change our format so that people can speak on the item that they actually uh, care about that might be on the agenda. So for example, if you were here to speak on the single manager licensing, I would suggest that you not speak now, but that you speak later. I'm going to call all the names because I'm seeing some head shaking and nodding, so I, I get it. Yeah, but I just wanted to, I wanted to make that clear, and it looks like um, some of our, our CNA folks just walked in, so they, they, missed, they completely didn't hear what I said, but you can play it back for them. Um, and so with that, um, that um, we also have a meeting coming up with the Board of Supervisors on the 11th. Uh, I apologize to some people who got an electronic calendar invite from me for the 5th. I, I don't know what my computer was doing, <laughs> but uh, we've been putting together an agenda for the Board of Supervisors joint meeting that we think will be productive and informative. Uh, and with that, I will shut up and uh, move on to public comment. So I have uh, five speakers. I have uh, Cecile Gazoon, I believe it is, uh, Felix Thompson, uh, Erica Flores, uh, uh, 
Okay, um, help me out there. Anne, Anna? Anne, Huh? Is it just Anne? Anne, I was going to say Anne. And then uh, Eleanor Perez. And, um, in that order, please. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, we are case managers here and social workers here at Highland Hospital, working close with the nurses, physicians, and the other members of the clinical care team. From the time the patient is admitted, the union and the ED, we coordinate the care necessary to ensure a safe, high quality care through the length of stay of each patient until they are simply discharged. I would like to reiterate the complex conditions we face with our severely marginalized population. For example, a homeless, uninsured, non-compliant patient who is hospitalized with asthma. Upon admission, our care team assess the patient and collaboratively create a safe plan for a patient to be discharged from medically stable. Upon discharge, care managers assist with securing required medical equipment and home health nursing to visit in a shelter location. Social workers intervene to assist with resources for shelter, applying for insurance, and future financial support. Um, so I want to talk about the first challenge we're facing, which is that we're being routinely understaffed in our department and it's harming our patients at Highland. Our, um, so I'm on Felix, I'm a nurse case manager, but we work in a team with the social workers. Our social work colleagues, in their MOU, it dictates 18 patients to one social worker. It's clearly outlined in the contract. Every single day, they're short. They routinely could have 30 patients they're assigned to. Our nurses are also routinely short-staffed. Um, maybe once or twice a week, we're covering all of our patients as well as the patients of our colleagues who are out, even for planned absences those days. Um, so, sorry. Oh, we have a PACB unit that has no, nobody assigned to it. So one of our nurse case manager colleagues just simply gets that dumped on top of her, her caseload. Um, and every day, like, so we're short once to two times a week. Our social work colleagues are short every day. And we do not have time to complete the tasks we're being asked to do. If, if management doesn't believe us, we welcome them to do a time study of the tasks they're asking us to do. We welcome them to come shadow us, sit with us, see how long these tasks take. We've asked them to talk to us in a dialogue, sit down with us, and see that we do not have time to do the work we're doing, especially when we're short staffed. But we are being issued a pre-disciplinary process called the PIP for not completing our tasks. I feel that I'm being asked to do mandatory overtime because I'm told if I don't complete all my assigned tasks in a day, I will receive one of these PIP processes. But I'm getting extra patience. I cannot complete it in a day. Staff us adequately, we can do the work. But stop punishing us for management's failure to staff our department. Thank you. Hi, I'm Eleanor. I'm a case manager. Um, I'm so happy to be here this afternoon. It's been a long struggle. It's been more than a year. All we wanted to ask for was dialogue, to have meaningful conversations, so that we can discuss with our leadership the things that we need to do in order to accomplish our task. We have written letters. We have physically gone to leadership's office. We have requested for meetings for more than a year. 
we have gone through six managers in the last two years. And over 40 staff in the system-wide department. It's been hard and stressful. Um, so right now what we're just asking for is for them to withdraw the PIPs, the performance improvement plans, adequately staff us so that the um, we will fulfill our responsibilities, which is to serve our um, uh, clients, patients. We are case managers, but at the bottom line, we are nurses. We come, a lot of us come from outside hospitals, but we choose to be here. We take, we took payments. Very challenging work, but Personally, this is the first time I have felt that I can struggle, struggle case management, which is, you know, we, we talk to insurance, meaning money. At the same time, I feel like I'm still a nurse here at Highland. That's the first time I have felt that, and that's why I'm still here. I, it's been five years, but now I feel like we're being punished for this. So um, this is our request to be here and appeal to you to help us, you know, fulfill this model um, cost. Thank you. Thank you. The morale of our department has really decreased. Um, I used to, and I think most of us do, we used to have a real pep in our step coming to the hospital. I was always very proud to go out there in the community and say I'm from Highland Hospital. But now it feels like everything's come to a head, and we have felt like we don't have a voice in speaking, trying to go to management and letting them know um, via email, just direct consult our feelings, and it just does not get heard. Um, in the last two years, just two years, between social work and case management department, there's been nine, nine managers. Um, and we've tried our best and there's different styles and personalities, but I think overall it's very difficult to come to work. Um, luckily, we have each other for support, but the morale is something that, um, there's something that has to be done positively for us or for ourselves um, because I think it's just we're at the <laughs> limit of what we can deal with. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Eric. I'm one of the social workers in the acute care tower. I just want to end from my team saying that we love <laughs> <laughs> our job. I mean, we love Highland. I've, I got um, hired right out of graduate school here. And I was here for three years. I left thinking, okay, let me go somewhere else, try something new. Went to of General, went to Kaiser, and I came back. There's no place like Highland. <laughs> Anyone who comes back, they'll tell you there's no place like Highland. I love the community. I love my doctors. I love my nurses. I love my staff. But we lost too many good people, good nurses, good social worker, like of leadership, management, just feeling overwhelmed, feeling just not valued. And I don't, I don't want to leave here. I want to retire from here. Sit on hard for years to go. But I don't want to leave. I love this hospital, I love the community, and I know we do damn good work, sorry, bitch. Um, and I want to see this hospital succeed, I want to see Highland succeed, I want to see other departments succeed and get better and stronger, 
And she, I'm getting emotional because that's how much I love this job. But I'm, not, I'm getting close to a breaking point, and I have to decide how much I love it, if it's worth it. And I don't want to come to that decision. So, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. And, and thank you all for your work. Are you, uh, I should be there. I'm going to you. I got it, yeah. Thank you. And, and so, why are the folks here? Why are they talking to you? Let me just share with you. Uh, you are valuable employees. Morale is connected to patient outcome, patient services. And when we have employees who have tried, on numerous occasions, to come together and say, what you are asking for is noble. What we're able to do is something totally different. Can we meet together and share with you what has worked in the past? Here is the way we triage the work that we do, from care nursing to the social workers. They had a plan. And then we had one man who came and decided maybe that wasn't good enough or expectations changed. But their voices aren't part of creating that change in order to create uh, the outcome that you're looking for. So we say we're a caring hospital, right? And so my question is, well, how are we living into this caring hospital if we have these workers coming to me saying we have tried to talk to management? And in fact, we've tried, I tried to talk to some of your managers and said, okay, here's the agenda. The first time I seen the uh, you know, they said, well, you didn't give us enough time, not enough notice. You know, the, I'm used to the rhythm of if you will, the dance, right? The dance to avoid the issue. And the issue is the workers want to be heard. They want to have adequate ability to give their voice to how to best serve the clients. Meet the needs that you set in terms of your standards and increase patient income. Why is that so difficult? Well, if you believe in command and control and everybody must march to your orders and you don't want to listen to people, you end up with folks feeling frustrated. And when people are frustrated, then you end up in this quagmire, right? And running around in circles and people feel less, less confident about their ability to provide you what they can do. These are our experts. The best that you can get, that's why you hire them. Uh, and so what we're asking for is, we don't want to be picked off individually, talking about your improvement needs to be better 90%, and yet we pull you off your task 90% of the time to pull you to do something else. Life is hard. What we're simply asking for is, who will manage the managers and ensure that the voices of those who provide this level of service can be carried out? And whether it's dignified, what's respectful, transparent, and whole, in order for you to create that caring community. And so we look forward to a meeting where those voices are heard. We don't do everything we want, we know that. But the interactive process is critical, and we've been denied that opportunity. And if I'm coming before you saying that, and I'm the outside person, here are the inside people who have the skills, the ability, I can't care for any of your patients. But they do, and do you want to lose that? I hope not. All right, with that, I think it's, uh, um, and I, I really do want to thank all of you for your work here. I, I, the, the passion to, to work and serve this community is, is very, very obvious and um, uh, much appreciated, so thank you. Um, I think we're now into our, um, our medical staff reports, and I believe our three doctors, these are your first, uh, your last uh, medical staff reports. So, Dr. Hunter, are you going to start this off? Uh, sure. Happy to. Yeah, okay. Um, thank you, everyone. This is uh, this is indeed my last uh, medical staff report. Um, there are a number of interesting things that have happened uh, in the last uh, 
two years um, in regards to our medical staff. Um, at QPSC, we talked about, obviously, our standard credentialing things. Um, but I'd like to take, a, if I may, a bit of, uh, of President of Medical Staff privilege and discuss a little bit about the, the things that have happened in the last couple years that have really, uh, we feel, from a medical staff uh, point of view, sort of moved, uh, moved the needle and moved the way forward and, and made this a better place to, to, to be a patient um, and made it a better place to be a provider um, and to be part of this community. Um, I think the thing that, uh, that comes to mind first is our, our the work collaboratively about hospital overcrowding um, here uh, at Highland. We have spent a tremendous amount of time uh, with administration coming up with um, uh, sort of best practices for hospital overcrowding. We use a, a national emergency department overcrowding score, um, which has been a tremendous effort. Uh, and I think we've, 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 we've seen the benefits in that. Um, for the first time in two years, we actually regularly measure how overcrowded our hospital is, um, and it causes our staff to do different things at different levels, and I think that that is a tremendous, tremendous effort of, and success in showing uh, to a large degree the collaboration uh, between administration um, and the medical staff, nursing staff. It's been, it's been really phenomenal to see, um, and I'm particularly happy with that progress over the last two years um, when we came in. Um, that wasn't in place, um, and through a, 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 a overcrowding task force, that sort of went forward, and it's been that really Attention all staff, the in addition, we had a pretty tremendous effort to, review, to revise our bylaws. Um, we've actually, in the process, in collaboration again with the administration, we created two new departments uh, here within AHS, the Department of Orthopedics and the Department of Pediatrics. Um, we actually had uh, four new chair searches, uh, which is remarkable to have a third of your department chairs either retire um, or move away or, uh, um, or um, um, basically retire or, or, or move away and forcing us to have uh, four, uh, a third of our chair searches, uh, chairs be empty. Um, so we've had a tremendous, a tremendous work in that regard. We've, three of them have been filled um, by excellent candidates. The fourth uh, chair search is, is ongoing. So anesthesia, surgery, and OB all have tremendous chairs either in place or uh, coming soon in January. We're very excited by that. Psychiatry is ongoing. In addition, uh, the collaboration with, um, with administration creating the CPC Council, the Clinical Practice Council, um, has been a tremendous effort in that a lot of the 6,000 policies that we have, including the policy on policies, I have to say, um, is in what have been sort of, that's, that has been streamlined and, uh, and that, that council has done tremendous work to sort of to streamline that process. Um, my own personal interest in the wellness task force has been remarkably um, listened to and advocated for amongst amongst both administration and the medical staff and that's been a tremendous thing to watch knowing that we now have um, we now have uh, not only a wellness lecture series we have a wellness counselor that is available to all medical staff across all uh, all sites in addition we've been recognized uh, recognized the necessity of leadership courses we've actually sent a number of our um, medical leaders to, uh, to nationally recognize leadership courses locally. Um, 
in the with the, the intention of training our medical leaders to be um, uh, knowledgeable about medical staff issues and the running of uh, boards and institutions, and that's been very, very helpful. Um, we've also created professionalism standards across the system. Uh, this is a project that is ongoing, but between all three medical staffs, we're, we're working towards adopting professionalism and behavior standards for our medical staff, which is, which is tremendous. Uh, we also did the very first um, NEC retreat of all three medical executive committees. Um, that has never happened before in the history of, uh, of the system, and we did that in October, so all three um, members of, of the three MECs met um, to go over, again, uh, leadership as well as um, uh, behavioral and professionalism standards um, and credentialing standards. Finally, um, we've done tremendous work in terms of credentialing and doing privileging uh, uh, across the system, and, uh, and we're introducing peer review redesign against, again across all three systems. Um, so that said, in my mind it feels like a pretty short list, but in some, in some opinions it might be a pretty long list. Um, for two years of effort, and I think it's been pretty amazing. I was speaking last night to, to two prior chiefs of staff, um, and uh, one of them said, you know, the interesting thing about being chief of staff is that you have no army, no budget, and no power. Um, and <laughs> which, to some extent, I agree with. That being said, I, uh, at another level, I, I disagree with sort of vehemently. I actually had an army. Sorry, I had a, no. Um, I actually had an army of dedicated people. I had an army of dedicated people. I had a small budget of dues um, from the medical staff, uh, which on an annual basis is less than a pediatrician makes. Um, but I had, sorry, was a pediatrician. You know, you know, you know. Um, but yeah, it was it was valuable to use some of that to actually fund our wellness program. Um, and to fund our medical leadership, and we are willing and dedicated to do that. In addition, I have the power of a group of dedicated and committed providers, many of whom have given their entire careers to this community and this medical center. I'm very thankful for my partners in administration, uh, Dr. Jamalin, Dr. Tony Bene, Dr. Hussein, Mike Moy, Tony Redman, Luis Fonseca, and Devecchio Finley, um, who have as partners helped move the needle and redefine sort of what is possible and accomplishable when partners work together. We may not agree at all times, but we agree on our mission and we agree on our purpose. I'm also thankful for my other chiefs, sharing ideas and information, creating the first chief meetings ever um, in the history of, of our system. I'm thankful for my executive leadership team, Dr. Kelly Ballard, Dr. Hindu Subramanian, and Satira Dalton, all of whom have helped shape the ideas and move us towards our goals. But most of all, I thank the medical staff who have put their faith in me to represent them well to this board. This group has made the commitment to this mission, to this population, and to this community. It is challenging, but gratifying, and life-affirming. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone have any questions? I have one. Uh, what's the biggest challenge facing your replacement? <sighs> it, is, um, it is a time of great tension in the system. Um, it is a time of tension not only of integration of medical staffs, uh, those challenges, there's integration of uh, medical groups perhaps, there is tension between what is like the, the 
the medical uh, documentation systems of the past and the training and implementation of a documentation platform of the future, which will be incredibly challenging. We all hope and pray and we believe that it'll be the right thing to move forward and provide us with a lot more tools, but that lift is going to be very large and it will take all hands on deck and I think that is the tension. Um, we have a diverse group of providers from intensivists to community docs to primary care providers and our wellness clinics um, and that uh, has that in itself and the won't say the herding of cats, but the wrangling of ideas from different perspectives is, is an interesting and a very a very challenging one. So um, my, uh, my successor is incredibly talented. She's a trauma surgeon um, dedicated to disaster medicine, and, uh, and she, will, um, she is more than qualified to take that role, um, and I look forward to it. All right, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your work and your contribution. Um, Dr. Shi, you want to be next? Uh, or, or Dr. Madeline? Yeah. No, I yield your mic. Okay, thank you. Um, I uh, gave my uh, thank you and farewell to the earlier to the competing oh. board members, but um, this, this will be brief. <laughs> okay. In addition to what um, Gina said, I think um, the, the three medical staffs have really um, tried to collaborate and align with, with the goals of the healthcare system. Where this is new to all of us, we're learning as a community hospital, we're finding our role as medical staff in, from the community hospital, and where we fit within the system as we integrate services, you know, and achieve our goals. We all have shared and common goals, and I think, you know, there's no question to the commitment from our medical staff to help collaborate and continue in a transparent and um, respectful dialogue with the board and with the executive leadership to uh, reach where we want to, to go. I think um, as uh, the past two years, I've again I also learned a lot, and um, you know we've achieved um, uh, a lot of things that across three medical staff that. Um, that has never been done before. And it took a lot of work and um, from, from everybody, from um, each of our medical staffs and leaders, from administration and from the board, um, in order to understand and, and learn from the process. Um, and um, again, I'd like to thank um, the board, uh, the members of the Board of Trustees and the executive leadership of Alameda Health System for the opportunity to be able to um, serve um, the community um, as a whole. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll ask you the same question. Uh, what's, the, what's the biggest challenge in your mind for your, for your uh, successor? Um, you know, as, uh, so Gene had said, you know, these are challenging and as well as inspirational times for all of us. I think um, from the community hospital perspective is, you know, we're still, we want some understanding and guidance to the role of um, the community physician as part of, of the health system as we achieve you know, our goals in terms of population health. The, the perspectives that we have um, that are applicable to a particular community, but you know, we want to contribute and strengthen that, um, that relationship. All right, thank you. Dr. Chu. Okay. Thank you. Uh, 
so uh, I'd like to uh, announce the, um, the 2019 uh, medical staff um, um, officer. Uh, they, they are uh, the upcoming um, chief of staff, Dr. Michael Ingenio, and, and also our uh, vice chief of staff would be uh, Dr. Conti. That's her right there. And uh, we are uh, Secretary Treasurer, Dr. Sarah Regnum is not here. So uh, with that say, I'm um, going to, um, uh, we... Commenting for the ER level one, UTA per minute. Commenting for the ER level one, UTA per minute. Uh, this will be my uh, last meeting here, and uh, I uh, gave a, uh, a farewell speech uh, earlier uh, in the QPSC, and, uh, and now I, I'm going to try to summarize it uh, again, and uh, they are the good guy and I'm the bad guy, so here we go. <laughs> so I started coming to this board two years ago, and uh, it was a new and gratifying experience, learning how a healthcare system works in a high level, seeing all these dedicated people working alongside each other, and it's just very hard moving. And the board functions well as a, an advisory board. And, but now here's my commentary, and it's not necessarily the, uh, the feeling of uh, San Angelo Hospital medical staff, but it's my commentary. At, at times, I feel like it could do more. Uh, why spending all this time and effort if the outcome doesn't change? Uh, seeking accurate data, folks uh, should always seek the most accurate data possible. You know, as uh, we say in math and, um, and uh, computer science, uh, junk in, junk out. So if you have bad data to come, come begin with, you're not going to have uh, a good data coming out. And uh, I think in order to do that, you got to ask a clinician on the, on the front line. Maybe have more clinician on the board and they can you know, give you the first-hand experience what's like in the trenches. And board uh, also should have adequate time and adequate choices to make a good decision. Uh, I'm going to cite an example for uh, EPIC training facility. For example, this uh, was trust up upon the board at last minute with the trainer coming in weeks time and they presented basically one choice. And, and there was objection from the board, and, but there's not much can do about it because the epic trainer are coming, the, you need to pick, pick this place or they will have no home. Same thing happened again. <coughs> the rehab moved to San Angelo Hospital. It was trust on the medical staff and the board within weeks to spare. And now we have to make a decision with <coughs> inadequate time, inadequate data and a lot of objection, as I can see around the room right now. And as advisory board, can make the decision with unbiased data set, hear from the people, allow adequate time, and have good options to choose from. Make a difference. Ask questions. Think outside the box. Don't necessarily go with the recommended option. And I found this group to be very intelligent, kind-hearted, socially conscious, looking out for the less fortunate, spending your afternoon, your evening, your weekends, making Alameda County a better place to live 
a little bit healthier. And for that, I applaud for it. And I'm, it has been my honor to serve with you for the past two years. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and I really appreciate your candor. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's impressive and, and refreshing and necessary. Um, and and um, uh, don't, I, don't, I don't expect you to ever stop uh, being candid, right? Uh, no, no, that's why I'm uh, making it easy for my uh, upcoming chief of staff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what's the number one challenge from Sam uh, you know, That's it. Yeah. The, that's the issue on the table. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I figured. And I appreciate the PowerPoint that you provided us. It's really valuable information. Thank yeah, you. no, sure. We, we can discuss more when the time comes. Yeah. Uh, so just to all three of you, you know, serving on a board uh, takes you away from your regular love and passion and job, but it's, it's a higher calling. Uh, I think we all know that, and uh, really, really appreciate your service. So if we uh, give a round of applause to all of you today. All right. Uh, I think uh, it's your turn. Yeah, so uh, good evening, everyone. Um, actually, with the uh, indulgence of the uh, chair, I've actually lost, since we have such uh, heavy uh, um, um, items tonight that I would yield, uh, not give a uh, CEO report this evening. Uh, for the trustees, I will have to go ahead and move a fair amount of conversation. What I will say uh, uh, for the uh, uh, good of the order is I, I also want to extend my uh, uh, thank you and my uh, uh, kudos to the outgoing chiefs of staffs. So, and uh, really, I uh, think you, you are uh, certainly a part of uh, that, that uh, ecosystem that works to provide your voice and provide representation and uh, thoughts about how you make your health system uh, better. Uh, I think we're all, I think uh, uh, Dr. Hume said it well, we're trying to uh, bring the best that we have uh, to to uh, the, the orders of the day. Uh, we talked in the last board uh, retreat about the fact that this organization um, really, when we when this board uh, set the strategy for the organization uh, for three years ago, um, uh, we recognized that this organization had some really structural deficits and uh, that we were really moving in a situation uh, in a um, path pathway. We couldn't advance the organization in some really uh, novel ways because we had to deal with the foundation that really uh, was was compromised. Whether we talk about it from the IT systems, we talk about it from the staffing and salaries and the uh, culture of bringing three different entities together. We talk about it from the medical staff uh, composition where you have community docs, you have hired docs, you have unionized docs, you have contracted docs, and really try to create the type of systemless and alignment that the organization needs. And um, uh, we couldn't move forward with those more ambitious things until we started to address that. And also, uh, kudos to everyone here uh, that uh, the organization has, I believe, and I think some of your uh, comments uh, bear this out, have really making, taken those tough actions to move these things forward. And as we talk to the board in the retreat, we're getting to that part of the plan where the things that were easy to do, meaning that there's universal agreement that these are things that the organization should have, we're, we're pretty much exhausting those, which is good, and we're getting to the thornier things. And these are things where decisions actually have a really big impact one way or another. But that's what leaders do, is make decisions, and those decisions don't have consequences. Uh, but hopefully they move you at the end of the day to being better uh, in whatever way you deem that uh, appropriate for your organization you're in. 
maintenance. So I think two of the things we'll be discussing tonight, arguably three, are, uh, are some of those really heavy things that we are, uh, that this board will be confounded with. And as a leadership team, it's a pleasure and a uh, point of privilege for us to support that process, inform that process, and to partner with everyone who has to uh, uh, bring their, their positions to bear on what then this board will decide to do. And at the end of the day, uh, uh, that decision is what, what, what pushes us forward and uh, hopefully moves us in a way that we don't continue to be uh, uh, confounded in ways that other organizations are not. Uh, we're able to align in ways that allows us to be as competitive uh, in serving our population, which is a growing population, uh, that is a competitive and attractive population for a lot of different organizations. And the longer we take to get that systemless and alignment within our organization to really further define who we are, then we will actually be uh, uh, potentially doing a disservice to that community we need to serve, as well as those of us who have committed our lives and our education to doing it with this organization. So, uh, I look forward to a lot of the dialogue tonight, and I really thank people who are here. I was thinking uh, we could have done a fundraiser for EHR tonight, by selling tickets. Uh, uh, but if you want to donate anyway, you can do that. Uh, um, I'm kidding, only slightly. Uh, but I do want to thank everyone for being here this evening, uh, because it is a fair demonstration that uh, uh, we are all very passionate about uh, this organization, this community, and each other. So thank you for that. All right, thank you. Uh, so unless anyone has any questions, uh, I'd say we move on to our, our committee reports. And, and we had agreed uh, last month, I think, uh, at the retreat that we'd have an oral report. You can make it as long or short as you want. Um, short. Uh, sure. Short. I'm kidding. Um, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we some food. All right, so I will present to you very quick reports about the Building Finance Committee. Um, so the first one is from a meeting on September 13th, and during that meeting, as you know, the Audit and Finance Committee um, looks at the, uh, the internal uh, audit uh, department of the organization, which looks at the effectiveness and efficiency of operations, looks at our financial risk, the legal risk, the reliability, uh, and how we are in compliance with applicable laws and regulations. <laughs> so for the September 13th meeting, we discussed some non-monetary compensation practices for travel and expenses and reimbursements and also given a big significant risks on non-compliance. We did find that there are, uh, the internal audit did find that there were instances where things could be, uh, there could be much better controls um, in terms of how we uh, implement our, our travel reimbursement policies and track payments um, to uh, physicians or any, um, and how we do some of our purchase orders as well. The HIPAA walkthroughs also happened where uh, folks, uh, members of the internal audit department, go to the different sites to see if there's privacy, patient privacy is being maintained, if records are being kept as they are supposed to be, if you have notice of privacy practices, and generally um, they've covered a range of the ambulatory clinics as well as the um, inpatient um, the hospitals. And um, again, uh, some findings there, and there are corrective measures that are being made. Um, for the September, for the November meeting, we, the big thing was the getting the 
um, our report, draft report of our external finance um, audit. And this was done by Moss Adams, and um, they look at the job of the external auditors to see if the financial statements prepared by the management are fairly presented, whether they are they are free of material misstatements, and to also consider what kind of internal controls we have. We got a clean audit. We do have um, so the AHP audit is not yet complete. I know that they were still in the process of doing it. But our auditors do Alameda Health System, the Alameda Health System Foundation, and AHP. So that's one that uh, the um, foundation and AHS is complete, but the AHP is not complete. And um, just issues that we need to kind of put on our radar. One is that this year was a very big year for the, we did a new charter for the audit committee, so we really expanded what the role of the audit, internal audit committee is, and to make sure that we have good oversight, we have good uh, reporting. We also, there's a new code of um, conduct for, um, uh, for the employees that was based on the, uh, the policy, the recommendations that came from an external, so those have, have happened. And we've also changed the reporting structure for our internal auditor. The reporting structure uh, was with the general counsel, and while that, those legal and audit work very close together, and many hospitals have this kind of reporting structure, our audit committee really felt that having um, the VP of audit report administratively to the CEO was really important because that culture of accountability, compliance really needs to be, um, um, that culture needs to be led from the top and have the, uh, and to have um, the internal auditor be part of the executive leadership team where he can have that access was really um, important. And the internal auditors also reports to the board, so not just to the audit committee, but to the board. So we, uh, that gives them the degree of independence that they need to be doing that. And those are uh, my updates. Are there anything else as members of the audit committee that you would like to share? Great. So thank you thank for you. that. Thank you. And I'll pass that over to Dr. Bukic for the sure. QPSC report. Uh, uh, thank you to uh, the board and uh, all the attendants. Uh, I'm going to review the October 25, 2018 QPSC report. I'll keep it brief. Uh, per routinely approved all med staff credentialing from all three facilities and subsequently approved 13 policies and procedures for the system. After that, we had a robust discussion about the Center uh, for Medicaid Services Partnership for Patients initiative. And this uh, initiative actually raises the question from the CMS of how a health organization incorporates the patient voice into its governance structure. And it actually raises the question of should a patient voice actually be at the board level. We had a robust dialogue around that. Uh, the, the deliverable around that is that Dr. Jamaluddin is going to do, if you will, a landscape analysis for how patient voices are incorporated into current structures within our system. So that will be forthcoming on the board to report, reporting on that in the future. After that, we heard the standing uh, chief of staff reports from the respective three chief of staff at the hospitals. Uh, themes of this discussion included, uh, were common and included improving communication between clinicians and administrator, administrators, operational efficiencies, uh, the rehab move, and the possibility of med staff mergers was a robust dialogue as well. 
We then heard the strategic business unit reports from the post-acute care and behavioral health units within our organization, and there was a common theme of occupancy uh, uh, being being full full houses. Post-acute care at nearly 95 to 99 percent occupancy, as well as behavioral health being quite busy. This was a, a robust part of the discussion. And, and to close, we heard robust reports from, from our quality team. Uh, for those of, who do, of you who do not attend the QPSC, we, we, we rally around the Institute of Medicine's uh, definition of quality, which uses uh, this, this acronym STEEP, S-T-E-E-P. I'll review this for everyone. They get annoyed when I tell them, but I'm going to do it again. And uh, that is safety, timeliness, effectiveness, efficiency, equity, and patient-centeredness. And uh, we're now trying to align our quality reports along uh, these measures in addition to our pillars. So with that, I close the report. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. So on the uh, minutes, the three uh, committee meetings are uh, listed, but I'm just mainly going to report on November 8th. Um, and I would note that uh, in the finance area, we have a new chair, and uh, we have a new term CFO. I'm actually um, pretty pleased with how we're doing. We're, we're uh, transitioning uh, to uh, to correct some uh, ways that the previous uh, finance information was uh, gathered, and the, CF the interim CFO that we have now has been very helpful in that process. So. Uh, we considered several action items. One of them was a carryover from October. Um, all of those contract issues will be later on. It's up there on the consent item calendar. But I do want to note that the premier parking item was um, carried over from October to our November meeting in order to consider uh, the process of um, evaluating uh, bids for uh, contracts and a particular focus on uh, consideration of local uh, contractors. Now, that's an ongoing conversation with um, senior staff, and um, I think we're making progress in that area. Highlights of the discussion uh, include mainly uh, items from the interim CFO's report. The operating margin was 3 point for September was 3.5. 8% above uh, budget goal, uh, but the EBITDA, which is our bottom line, folks, uh, was 3.4% uh, or 1.5% off budget goal for the month due to non-operating capital cost transfer. Uh, the year-to-date EBITDA it was at 3.2 or a half point off our budgeted amount uh, assumed through September. The uh, year-to-date shortfall in patient net patient service revenue was uh, 6.9 million, in line with the interim CFO's projection of 27 to 29 million uh, in annual shortfall. So this was the area uh, where we've trued up, and you know I think the good news. I've said this several times. The good news is that I think we can count on um, the way we're. Uh, doing the assessment of uh, where we'll be with this revenue, much more than we, uh, it's much more reliable than what we have in the past. Staff is working on mitigating shortfalls um, in this area through cost saving strategies. Uh, and those were discussed at, at length, they've been discussed at length at, uh, at 
committee level. Staff has provided a very thorough, provided a very thorough overview and quite frankly, very fascinating overview of Alameda Hospital's finances. This was from a request from staff that was made during the summer. And uh, the overview I would uh, uh, alert the public and uh, the rest of the board to, to look at the details um, of that review of finances. And I would say that um, the board members um, at the committee affirmed uh, on, uh, on the hospital's role in our system. Its value uh, is, is, is real, but we have an incredible challenge around the financing of um, various parts of our system, including Alameda Hospital. The CEO will provide the committee with an update on construction at Alameda Hospital, including strategies for contracting that would uh, uh, address time constraints and also uh, realize cost um, savings and value engineering. Uh, there's a related web core builders contract item on tonight's contract, uh, on tonight's agenda. Uh, concerns and issues that came up during the meeting, the net patient service revenue uh, needs a careful monitoring. The committee has uh, discussed this uh, at uh, our previous uh, three or four meetings, and uh, I expect that we'll continue to do this. The chair in particular has a concern about the supplemental revenue, um, that the portion of that that could very well decrease uh, with another economic downturn. For example, Measure A, uh, we could see a loss in even a point or two um, if we had a serious downturn and sales tax was impacted. Uh, the committee expressed concerns, as I mentioned before, about contracting, the process, as well as the focus on contracting with local companies. Um, and that's my report. Thank you. Any questions from any members? No. All right. I'm mid-bike. No, I'm showing you on the uh, consent agenda. Uh, oh, I'm so sorry, Tracy. Thank <laughs> you, Marcy. Uh, the recent HR community was held on October 10th, and uh, the focus of the meeting was um, employee separation. Basically, we, talk, we discussed probationary release data, um, and it was employee separation and kind of a trans by ethnicity. I would say we looked at the ethnicity lens at both um, probationary release data and exit interview data. The highlights really of exit interview data were the um, most voluntary, uh, voluntary separations are due to shifts and schedules, um, then retirement, of course, but shifts and schedules are really the, the primary reason that people leave 10% of um, voluntary, 10% of all separations were due to shifting schedule. So, um, versus 9% were retirement, and then about for all of the involuntary, it was less than 10%. That was the focus. No actions were taken other than the uh, approval of the minutes, and that's my report. Okay, thank you. Any questions? All right, let's move on to our consent calendar. Um, can I entertain a motion for the whole calendar? Do I have to do this item by item, Mike? You can do the whole calendar. I'll, I'll, I'll entertain a motion. Motion to approve. 
such. So if I could just make one small correction. So on item um, E6. E6, which is the recommendation to approve the Alameda Hospital Medical Staff Bylaws. In the TPSC uh, meeting, the, uh, there was a uh, modification to the bylaws in uh, Article 9.4 has been stricken from the bylaws. So everything else is the same except 9.4 is there. So just that clarification. All right, so as noted with that amendment, all in favor? One more question. Is the premier parking contract a local vendor? No. No. Did you want to answer that more thoroughly? The finance chair. So what I'll say is that the committee asked for more information and received it. We wanted assurance that the process gave every opportunity for a local vendor to uh, compete uh, fairly for okay. um, the contract. And we were satisfied uh, by the November meeting that was uh, the case. And I just want it to be noted that we are a major... It's hard to hear you. I'm sorry. I just want it to be noted that we are a major employer, that we have tremendous economic impact on local businesses, that we are always needing to be mindful of supplier diversity programs that allow for small businesses and minority-owned businesses to compete for some of the incredible uh, dollar figures of contracts that we have as a hospital. And I would just commend our, uh, not commend, I would ask uh, that our staff and our board be very mindful of the impact that we make on local businesses who wish to do business with us. Thank you. Uh, I would add that I, I think that, um, well, I'll speak for myself um, as the chair of the Finance Committee. There is more uh, transparency that's necessary for the board committee members to understand whether we're satisfying the principles you just articulated. And staff has um, expressed a commitment to get that information to the committee, to the full board. Yes, I think the report is coming forward in January. Yeah. We couldn't do it until last one because Mike wasn't there and he's a big part of the presentation. But I you know, plan to uh, my board report to the January board meeting to report out. And if I could, just although I agree with everything you said about that need broadly, I think that because of that concern about a local vendor, uh, not being selected or you know not coming in first the, the the finance committee delayed the vote a month and directed staff to go back and do a much deeper analysis um, and and really see if there was room uh to see that the local vendor and the and the incumbent um was was given every every opportunity to, to match the um the, the um uh, their competitor, and, and I think that um, in the end um, they, they didn't, but in it's a three-year contract, and, and they, they may they may in fact be back and do it. So we, the entire finance committee was very uh, concerned about that and spent a lot of time on it, and um, um, and hopefully it was a, it was a, a, an example for us to, to learn about how to evaluate the entire system. So one small thing that we may need to do, um, I saw this in a corporate environment, a very large corporation. Uh, they had a supplier diversity training and development initiative 
so that when a local supplier and a minority supplier came forth and slightly you know, needed some help, they actually provided some guidance and assistance, and I hope that we're considering to do that as well. I, I, I want to point out that this, this local provider, um, it, it wasn't, there wasn't a slight difference in the numbers, right. and they're actually a, a larger this company. Is a sophisticated company. They're actually a very sophisticated company. They're actually larger than the out-of-town provider who ultimately is getting the contract. Right. Uh, but be that as it may, we all know something yes. and, and, and felt like we wanted to keep it local if we could and, and it, it, it just it didn't pencil out and it, um, it, was, it was an interesting it, lesson for all of us on the finance committee. I got it. Yes. I'll go oh, I think, uh, yeah. Uh, in follow-up to what council said, I wanted to give uh, a little further commentary to the modification of item E6, so for trustees or anyone looking at the packet, this is on page 165 of the V86. It relates to uh, it relates to the Alameda Hospital bylaws. What what item was stricken from this uh, consideration was item 9.4. I want to give us a little detail around that, just so we know. The item is titled Medical Staff Representative to the Board. So 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 the uh, the MEC of Alameda Hospital had discussion about wanting a representative from their medical staff to sit on this board. Our commentary was that this dialogue has never occurred and, and uh, the QPSC could not approve that discussion. What subsequently followed, as Trustee Banner, you said, this is actually an interesting item of discussion that we should have at consideration at future uh, retreats or the like. And that's why we struck that, struck that item, just to get clarification on, on the why. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions or comments on the consent agenda? Okay, there's a motion on the floor. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Abstentions? All right. Let's get to the juicy stuff. Uh, let's see. Where are we? Uh, so, uh, we're on F1. And, um, so, I'm coming. Sure. <laughs> so it's my understanding that in pursuit of uh, the Brown Act, I need to. I am a member of OCARE. I should recuse myself uh, from this dialogue. Council, is that correct? Would it be clear? It's actually the Political Reform Act. Okay. Oh. Act. <laughs> I apologize for my misunderstanding. I told him it was the Brown Act. So okay. my bad. Okay. Well, I was. I was going to say trust you misinformed him, but if you did, then you misinformed him. <laughs> 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 Uh, recuse yourself and the minutes should reflect that uh, Dr. Kept, uh will exit the meeting. Uh, for I'll go sit by myself out in the rain. Okay. He's allowed to sit in earshot. Anybody giving him the wrong? Do you want your mail? Uh, clarification is, the, is there an action item on this agenda item or is it just merely informational? It is, it is informational, it's discussion of the item that. Uh, will become the board of the local reform after the person has an interest in the item is required to recuse himself from not only the action item but anything leading to the action item as well too. So, so. It's not me. It's I'll give you a class. No. Yes. Hi. Good evening. No, thank you. 
What's that? Brownstown. Oh, yes. All right, so um, I'm Dr. Nick Pernia, a member of the Department of Orthopedic Surgery and also president of AHP. Bob Savio, pediatrician and president of Open Care Medical Group. And um, just press the advance. Yes, right, the right side. It could be to uh, you lean into the microphone. So bad for posture, though. So anyway, uh, so Dr. Savion and I are here to give an update to the Board of Trustees on the current progress of the Physician Employment Unification. That's the best title we can come up with for this update. So this is going to be a presentation that serves as an update on what direction we've taken, um, some of the recommendations and things that are under consideration for how to move the process along. It's going to start off with an initial presentation by me concerning um, Alameda Health Partners' sort of present state. Um, Dr. Savio will talk about O-Care, and then we'll talk about a proposed alternative operating model for AHP and a potential new entity called Alameda Medical Group. So for the past year or so, um, the physicians of both uh, Alameda Health Partners and O-Care Medical Group have been meeting together um, at a cadence that's somewhere between monthly to as much as twice a week, trying to find a path forward to unite our two physician groups into one entity. Um, we undertook this process with respect for the needs of AHS, the respect to the work that was done to date on creating Alameda Health Partners, as well as respect for our partners in O-Care, and how to unify these groups in the most um, effective um, way possible. So this uh, presentation serves as an update on that process as well as a request for feedback. Um, I do have to acknowledge that we do have a timeline in general because the current O-Care contract is set to expire in 2020. Um, we're approaching the midpoint of that contract and there are not current plans to renew that contract. So, Alameda Health Partners. So this is our mission statement. Um, I won't read the entire thing, but put simply, the idea was that Alameda Health Partners was supposed to simplify uh, the mechanisms through which AHS interfaces with the physicians who work at AHS. Uh, we wanted to uh, create clear lines of accountability, um, as well as means of improving physician voice, improving operations, and creating a better support system for the physicians. Um, as currently structured, HP is able to do this, um, and we've been growing steadily over the past two years since we first employed physicians. We started at only um, 11, including physicians who have been signed but not yet started. We are just above 40, and we'll probably reach the high 40s by the end of the year. Um, this is our current HP um, organizational structure. Uh, so we are uh, at the top of the organizational structure is the Alameda Health Partners Board of Directors. So this is a composite group whose purpose is to um, set strategic direction for the physician enterprise, manage finances, including manage the finances that flow from AHS into AHP, um, as well as um, ensuring that the needs of AHS are met from a provider standpoint. Um, so they provide sort of the 30,000 foot um, management of the organization and then below that is the physician operational leadership which includes myself as the Alameda Health Partners President. There's also an advisory council called the Physicians Operation Council um, that gives me specific feedback um, and assists with the governance process. Below me is meant to be a Chief Administrative Officer for Alameda Health Partners. That position is currently vacant. If anyone has any good candidates just let me know. And um, below that is the AHP Chairs and Chiefs um, who also assist with managing the organization as well as our fellow physicians within the enterprise. This is the current um, organizational structure in terms of how we relate 
to Alameda Health System. So um, our board of directors has a direct reporting relationship with the AHS board of trustees, um, as do I. And then we run effectively in parallel with um, AHS. I may hand this over to Dr. Salvia to talk about Oak Care Medical Group. Thank you to the Board of Trustees. So it's an honor to be here. I appreciate the opportunity in open forum to discuss the shared vision side by side with Nick. I um, also want to recognize and thank Dalvecchio and the ELT team for allowing this physician-driven work to take place. Um, there's a bunch of folks who spend a lot of their personal time on our unification committee. If you guys just raise your hand if you're here. It's mostly the chairs in both AHP and the chairs in Oak Hill that are working on this work. So Oak Hill's long-standing mission is very well aligned with that of AHS, a safety net mission to serve all, to teach, and to partner. I'll read ours. <laughs> Oak Hill Medical Group is a multi-specialty physician group dedicated to providing high-quality health care to the people of Alameda County, one of the most culturally diverse counties in the United States. Our goal is to provide excellent physician services to Alameda Health System, fulfilling the dual mission, delivering comprehensive health care services to all that seek them, and training new physicians through our residency programs to carry the mission into the future. So Oak Care was formed about 23 years ago, actually, at the request of then Alameda County Medical Center Executive Team, if you all have that distant memory, and really to be a vehicle to pull together a bunch of individual contracted physicians. So we've grown over time. Our secret sauce, and besides our mission, our core value is really our physician-led governance and ownership. So our physician shareholders elect our 13-member board of directors, and the various committees report directly to the board. We have a quality committee, finance committee, executive committee, HR committee. I report directly to the board. Our CEO, Peter Holt, direct, directly reports to me and to our executive committee. The four ex-official members of the executive committee are the chairs of our current service lines, in addition to um, seven other serving members. So Dr. Rachel Bowden in internal medicine oversees 60 FTE. Dr. Barry Simon in emergency medicine oversees 38 FTE. Sophie Schroeder, who's been serving as our interim chair for a long time, thank you, at OB, is soon to be replaced by Dr. Kevin Smith in January, oversees 18 FTE. And my boss, Dr. Don Carey, is the head chair of pediatrics, interim chair of pediatrics. Um, we're very proud also of our training programs nationally renowned both in emergency medicine and internal medicine. In Oak Hill, there are currently 127 total FTE, over 200 providers. We're very proud of our years of service because I think it speaks to engagement and passion. Folks have been here since the inception of the group and we have a, a great young group of new recruits bringing passion and energy. I'm honored to speak on behalf of this group. They are unbelievable providers. Um, recent national headlines in the ER with the buprenorphine clinic, um, and I mean the, the kind of work that's being done, the human rights clinic. I'm super proud to stand side by side with these folks. Morale and leadership drive engagement, and I think our longevity speaks to that. 
and also, you know, I, I think a lot of it, as we look back on the last year and a half in this process, we spent several months getting up and running in the ER, systemizing that under, under Dr. Simon, and we're really proud of what we've been able to deliver. So, what is under, what is under consideration um, are some changes to the current um, Alameda Health Partners operating model that um, as it rests currently. So, um, what's being um, discussed here is the idea that um, Alameda Health Partners Board continue in this current function of managing physician finance, strategic direction, and operations, but that the organization would outsource the HR functions to another organization, which we would be calling here, at least tentatively, Alameda Medical Group. Um, the fund, if it would also come with a fundamentally different um, PSA, so we would be fund, uh, activities such as funding and determining FTE counts would be performed by the Alameda Health Partners Board as it is now. Um, there would be an end to the idea of periodic contract negotiations, and we would build in more accountabilities for quality and volume. Now, th these notions were undertaken um, out of the requested need of our physicians within OCare, um, who are trying to find a good solution to move forward and merge our medical groups. Um, this is a graphical representation of how the org chart would appear. Um, again, the same reporting relationship for the Alameda Health Partners Board. There would be some degree of infrastructure that rests under Alameda Health Partners, the degree of which would have to be determined so we don't have any duplication of services. And then um, this new group, Alameda Medical Group, would be governed by um, the AHP Board um, in terms of, again, gross finances, requirements of AHS, FTE counts, um, you know, cost per FTE and the parameters like that. And then the internal functions um, and the deliverables would be uh, provided by the uh, other entity, Alameda Medical Group. Yeah, so you see the uh, providers living within Alameda Medical Group having a strong PSA contractual relationship with the system through AHP, but leaders having direct accountability to the CMO and executive leaders. So what are the benefits of this model? So partnership-based approach. Alameda Medical Group will be an interdependent partner with the medical system. Like all good partners, committed, sharing values, trying to make each other the best that we can be, but not only one another. Full transparency concerning compensation methods and incentives. The totality of the AMG contract would be tied to a national benchmark for fair market value. And there would be agreed upon incentives across the totality of the contract for both quality and productivity metrics. Model fully incorporates physician sharing and autonomy. So the, uh, the, this physician group, Alameda Medical Group, will share risk, um, upside and downside, with the system, truly partnering with the system. But the group's autonomy serves the best interest of the patient. There's good data to show decreased healthcare expenditure cost curves with independent groups interfacing with health systems. Physician leadership compensation and incentives paid directly by AHP for all administrative functions. So it's essential that the physician leaders live in the medical group. They have to be part of the team, manage day-to-day -day operations, be involved in HR, recruiting, disciplinary actions, but clearly there needs to be accountability to the service line and the leaders of the medical system. So our idea is that there's a transparent pass-through to align the physician leaders with the system for compensation and paid incentives. 
Therefore, there's no conflict of interest. More benefits. HP source of value to AHS remain. So as Nick dis uh, discussed earlier, there's a clear line of accountability within AHP to provide control over the physician group network. There's optimized ph uh, physician revenue, contracting management, and enhanced physician leadership. HP is where the physicians and the system leaders live together and make strategic decisions. AMG delivers an empowered and engaged medical staff. This is really where it lives. The unification of the current providers in Oakcare with Alameda Health Partners into a group that we own, that we're passionate about, that we have pride in, will be an inflection point, to use Delvecchio's word, for the system. And I think it would be attractive to other providers in the system as we move towards full systemization across the system. Bidirectional accountability in the best interest of the patient. So I think in any system there's some tension between the providers and the health system. That, that tension can be a good tension, a positive tension to work on behalf of the, behalf of the patients. Two perspectives as partners coming together with a shared vision to deliver on behalf of the patients. Proven model of success. So what we're proposing with Alameda Medical Group is nothing novel. It's what's being used at Washington Hospital and on a larger scale, this is the Kaiser model. We do not want to be Kaiser, but look at what they're able to do with quality metric delivery and population health. If we all pull together East Bay style with our care and passion for the patients here, we can attack healthcare disparities and we can get this done. No additional investment by AHS. This is a mashup really of what's the best already existing in AHP and Oakcare Medical Group. We use existing resources to move forward and get this done. It's time to finish this. Thank you, Bob. So, um, as mentioned before, just to sort of recap, so the fundamental purpose of the Alameda Health Partners Board would continue as a decision-making entity um, as already framed, which we feel is one of the um, important missing components in prior relationships between um, Ocare Medical Group and AHS. And we see it as a key facilitator to improving that. Um, under this uh, you know, proposal to create this new entity, Alameda Medical Group, it would employ the physicians on behalf of AHP. It would still be responsible for um, HR functions. The hope is that it would assist with uh, standardization of service lines by bringing the majority of physicians within the system together. Um, that we could build a culture of accountability as part of that that would help to deliver on quality and performance and that it would assist us with recruiting and sustaining staff. And discussion. I have a question about the timing of all of this. I know that you're up against a deadline in July, and so what is your best estimate of the progression of steps that you need to take? Um, well, there's a lot of steps that we would need to take. Uh, for starters, I mean, we would actually need to, although we've agreed upon many of the provisions of a potential PSA, we would need to finalize negotiations on that. We would have to establish internal committee structures, although we would hardly be reinventing the wheel on that front. Um, I think there would still have to be a matter of determining what core infrastructure is required because HP still needs to function on some level. I think the key, per the key components that would be harder to move away from are the benefits of profi revenue because with profis, it's helped 
helpful to submit your facility and your professional side with different tax ID numbers. Um, and because AHP can qualify for supplemental payments, we would want to be able to continue with that benefit. Um, there still needs to be a performance man management infrastructure and also deciding what the relative roles of committees are and defining better how things would work with chairs and chiefs. We have a provisional motion of having pass-through payments that come from LMA Health Partners and goes to this other medical group, but we need to make sure that that will pass muster and do some more considerations on that front. Do you feel you can do it in July, by July? Uh, July 2020. Sorry, July 2020. I, I, do, I do believe so, yes. What are the financial implications of this? Financial implications? Positive, negative, neutral? Compared to what? Current state. Uh, well, the hope is that if we can better optimize activities such as profit revenue, we can end up with a better revenue situation. There could be some economies of scale that could be helpful. Um, to be frank, we're not necessarily expecting the model to change the cost curve necessarily, even though in the long term we're expecting that we will have a lot more financial flexibility than the current state. But also, I think the economy of scale across the system is really the winner, and I think it will directly affect patient quality services across care. Um, I'm, I'm trying to understand how this new model will impact the other groups that um, the 100 contracts with community providers, the um, UCSF and UAPD um, relationships. So the intention would not be to affect the UAPD or UCSF relationships at present state. Um, the plans for you know, long-term relationship with community providers, I think the intention is to continue relationships with community providers. Um, in general, whether it would be Alameda Health Partners or an alternative, I mean, we're trying to um, pull together providers as much as we can. Um, so we would like most people sort of resting within the same organization, and that's, uh, that path would continue, I would say. Whether or not this facilitates that at a different pace is, is hard for me to say. Just like to comment, I think if we build this right where physicians are empowered, empowerment leads to more satisfaction. We know that that affects patient care. And I think if we build it in a way where physicians feel ownership of something, that would be more attractive for folks who may be interested in joining the group. So to be clear, no change to that those relationships and those contracts would still be going through uh, AHP. AHP. Okay. If I may comment, uh, um, there is clearly the possibility, although really there are a lot of details to be hammered out, there's the possibility that one of the reasons why both AHP and OCARE were formed originally is that the, there are a number of disparate contracts, and that the, the idea and the principal philosophy of unifying the contract under a single group um, is, is, the, is the entire purpose. And there are groups that are sort of the are waiting in the wings to find out about this process. Um, and in, in terms of quality and philosophy, the, the MEC executive committee had a unanimous vote in favor of this and model that it included people who are not members of HP and not members of OCARE, um, but who are who have other contracts and who are employed by other um, other entities. So as, as a philosophy and as a as a driving 
principle for, for being nimble and driving quality, that the MEC vote unanimously in favor of this proposal. Well, that's good to know. Um, to clarify the HS MEC, because this right. has not been discussed at the Alameda Hospital MEC. And so I was giving my next, I was giving my question. What is the next, uh, what are the next steps in your process for engaging uh, stakeholders? And how does this eventually come back to us if you uh, take this beyond the discussion? Um, so I think that our next step would be to, to broaden the involvement of other current members of the medical staff um, on both sides of it and try to start to create working groups to, to decide how processes should operate. And to start to get some hard some hard components on paper in terms of what has been negotiated. Have you uh, explored the option where uh, the AHP uh, model uh, prevail and anyone to employ physician under AHP? So, so, um, so yes, I mean, much of what we're discussing is, is possible in the AHP model. The part that's not is the ownership component. But we can we can build a, a robust you know physician management structure under AHP that um, is entirely physician driven. But you know with the way that AHP is constructed in terms of the relationship to AHS, it cannot be owned by the physicians. Uh, my other question about the structure uh, about the um, the org chart and the structure it, it looks like the department chairs are all part of AMG. So. But that would mean that some current department chairs would not be retainers of chairs. Uh, so not necessarily everyone would move over in that regard. I mean, I, our relationship with UCSF, I think, is a very good one. I don't think anyone has intentions of changing that. Um, we, but in terms of the chairs that rest between Alameda Health Partners and Oak Care Medical Group, you would be combining those into one group. Um, and again, you know, the intention is to have their incentives and such managed very directly by Alameda Health Partners and their board um, so that there's very clear transparency about exactly what's being incentivized, what they are managing for, and things like that. So you envision that other groups that aren't part of AMG or AHP would also be, uh, have incentives or be taking risks? It, de it depends. So I, you know, I think that whether or not we would be able to negotiate something like that with UCSF is another matter. But I think that over time, building incentives into the into the pay structure for physicians is important, and it's done at present in OCare, um, not at HP at current state. But that's a big part of our path forward in terms of you know rewarding rewarding hard work and maximizing our opportunities. So I'm sort of hearing a, a key difference between the notion of doing everything under Alameda Health Partners and this proposed um, uh, configuration. The ownership seems to be a key a key piece of this, and so I'm, I am trying to sort of just understand on the organizational chart um, how how the Alameda Medical Group falls under our the Board of Trustees purview if there's an ownership structure. speaks about. <laughs> so the, the medical group would have a strong contractual relationship and enhanced PSA with AHP, and AHP oversees managing that contract, similarly as it does currently with OCare. So in the Kaiser model, similarly, all the physicians and physician leaders live within 
the Kaiser Permanente Medical Group, but they are, they are bound at the hip as partners to serve the community. So I'm just trying to understand from sort of the perspective of a, of a trustee, right, for this for the safety net hospital system, um, just trying to understand why this couldn't be accomplished with Alameda Health Partners. Um, because as I read the, the mission statement of Alameda Health Partners, I understand the trajectory towards sort of unification. And so this formation of yet another group, I'm just concerned of it taking us into a different direction. And, and maybe that I'm having a fundamental not understanding of of how that, this medical group really falls under the trustees purview. Um, but I, I, I do understand how Alameda Health Partners does. So I'm just trying to understand why, you know, how, how this is preferable, what the real advantage is over going with the unification just under Alameda Health Partners as it was intended. Subsidiary um, and in its non and having a nonprofit status, which allows billing for all the supplemental income. That nonprofit status, in its inherent structure, the board of directors cannot be greater than 50% physicians within that group. Um, and so that's the inherent philosophical difference. Um, in that, AMG would have 100% physician board of directors. Um, and in a similar model that we've discussed, essentially, um, similarly to the, the KPMG model, like that entire medical group, all the clinicians are part of that medical group, and that medical group is run by physicians who are dedicated to that system only. In the same way, AMG would be dedicated to AHS, like all of the folks who have given their careers for this institution. Um, and there would be a very tight physician-provider service agreement um, that would link the two. So one of the one of the one of, so one of the thing, characteristics is the best way to describe it of HB is that it's somewhat novel in its actual construction um, because it doesn't quite look like a medical group to a lot of people because we don't have periodic um, negotiations with um, AHS. We're, we're basically funded directly, and the discussion is more about how much and what should be funded, which is made by two groups of people who come together um, with a very strong physician voice because they actually outnumber them, the ELT <laughs> on the board, and they have community members who sort of, you know, act as tiebreakers, if you will, um, and we make a final decision about what we need and what we can pay for and move forward, and then, and so in many ways, our board of directors sort of acts as like, you know, um, a contracting uh, negotiation process that happens monthly as opposed to happening on a periodic basis. So um, it's true the board cannot be majority physicians, but it would be very hard to justify that when they have complete access to the funds of AHS to not have any input from ELT, actually. I think it would be kind of unusual. So fundamentally, we, we have that mechanism to make decisions about those core issues of finance and strategic direction, and for AHS to come forth and say, this is what we need. But underneath that, you can make a robust physician management group. Um, there are strategies for doing it. You know, at present, our bylaws don't have some um, some of the structures that could make that more effective, and that is something we're exploring because we would like to, for the physicians physicians to feel a greater sense of autonomy within the, the group and really know what the parameters are and what parts they can really manage, which is very nearly all of it. Um, so, in many regards, 
the, the idea with Alameda Medical Group is it sort of more directly, structurally hardwires that distinction between strategic direction and finances. And um, the, the portion that the physicians have been tasked with managing, which is largely themselves, the HR processes and things like that. Um, and again, the ownership is, is the component that really can't be done under Alameda Health Partners. The rest of it can, but I, I think it looks differently to a lot of people than what they're expecting. The question. Yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. Again, it's very simple. Um, so the AMG would be there wouldn't it, 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 HP would be the backbone and do all the uh, the subcontract and things. But would that be in perpetuity? Like the the relationship in terms of like how would the financial model be? Would it would it still be like? five or six years of contractual relationship between the two of you, between AHP and AMG? You know, some of that is still yet to be decided. I mean, I think that an important component of delivering on what AHS needs out of the relationship to feel relative security in both directions is to not have, you know, big periodic negotiations. And I think both sides agree that we can do away with that component and delegate that task to the Alameda Health Partners Board to make decisions about finances. So potentially you could have a PSA with a very long term that then gets, you know, uh, basically modified by mutual agreement, but things like the numbers and the FTE counts are the parts that are subject to change. Um, and, and that responsibility having been delegated to the Alameda Health Partners Board. So in my mind, you need some entity like that to make it work. Um, I would not want to, to, to do away with uh, that body because then I think that you go back to the original contracted relationship that has been present. And I don't think that's what is desired by the system or necessarily the physicians. Right, right, especially if the chairs and chiefs are within that, just to think that periodically you don't have to reevaluate and the risk sharing and all of that. So, yeah, just it's just... Um, and if I may comment, I, I think that's the, that's the theory, that this is, uh, and clearly the details have to be worked out, but this is, the proposal is that this is a long-term, stable construct um, in perpetuity, and, and, you know, um, with uh, tremendous support, again, from uh, members of AHP and the OCARE board. Um, I've mostly been watching this from the sidelines, um, but uh, tremendous support from members of the ELT, um, Dr. Tamaldi, and it's been um, very exciting to see these two groups come together. I was also going to comment on, on Mr. Fonseca's the dialogue leadership model, pulling together system leaders with the leadership chairs and chiefs of service lines, pull them together where there is dual ownership. You own this. You own your SBU. You own the budget. And that's where this interface and bi-directional accountability and partnership come together. Does this just mean, or Dr. Hunt, does this mean that OCARE dissolves and, and, and reorganizes under another as AMG? Correct. It's unification of AHP providers and OCARE providers. And that's a pretty big, that's kind of a big deal. And it's about time. I mean, there's been so much process in it, and I think we have a plan and shared vision that I think we can achieve well before the timeline of 18 months. And as you present this, you, uh, OCARE has already been, 
this has been shared with okay with the organization that the, the so, council and everyone who Thanks, Trustee Jensen. Though to be clear about that, there has not been wide messaging yet within all of OCARE. This is the first public comment statement that we've made. The leaders are all behind us. There's been a lot of discussion within membership of the OCARE shareholders. I'm confident that OCARE shareholder majority of this would come to a vote would get behind this model. I, I just want to. Uh, Okay, I just want to uh, clarify, uh, when we uh, negotiated the current OCARE contract, uh, uh, we agreed with OCARE leadership to uh, meet and discuss a process of unification. Uh, during this process, uh, and again, you know, I, I just value all the physicians. I don't look at, I, even you know, now I see all the physicians the same way. They deliver care to all patients. This is a contractual thing, but you know, uh, there was uh, something which is very uh, important for the healthcare, which is employment and the HB, like a physician employment. And uh, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, at that time, I, I had to uh, go back and I say, let's put this on the side and look at what are the interests of the healthcare physicians and why can we not do this in the AHP? And again, the employment kept being an obstacle. So uh, with the discussion with the vecchio, uh, we got uh, the approval to explore another model. And that's the other, that's the other model that is proposed. And uh, uh, this model, this is the first time it is discussed in a public uh, meeting upon request you know, from the board. Uh, it has not been voted yet in the HP board as well. And it has not been voted with an OCARE. There has been discussion with various physicians, but this is a unification team that has come up with this with this uh, with this structure. And, and to, you know, to be frank, as leader of you know Alameda Health Partners, we've only had some very initial discussions with the broader membership. Um, it's something that. A fair number of people are open to, but of course there is always some anxiety about transitions too. So I don't want to portray this as something that there's universal, tremendous enthusiasm for. I mean, I think we have to work through it and see what the details would look like. What's the proposed legal structure of AMG? Is it 501c3 as well, or? Like, like KPMG. Like KPMG, you're under California corporate law. It's a for-profit medical group with physician governance. Currently, care assigns billing for HP, so does many of the contracted physicians, especially here at High. Wow, it just sounds like everyone loves this thing. Uh, what's bad about it, and what will the grand jury think of it? It's a hard question to answer. Okay. Sure. Sure, yeah. I'd like to try to answer that. I mean, it's hard to know what the grand jury would say. There was a lot of commentary about the leadership, the leadership of OCARE in the grand jury um, report, and whether or not there was conflict of interest. Um, and I think that the way that we've structured that will, um, to the best of our abilities, account for um, that, um, that issue. And I think the structure of this allows for more transparency 
transparency um, around um, the financial aspects of the medical group than previous structures. I also think that would address previous concerns from the grand jury investigations. So I think with the um, bidirectional accountability, the, um, uh, the structures we would put in place to um, minimize any conflict of interest for leaderships, and lastly, the, that transparency issue. I think I think we're it's a home run in terms of many of the things that were raised um, for the grand jury investigation. Obviously, no one thing is going to be perfect, but we feel that this is pretty near perfect as compromises go, um, putting the best of both both worlds, the best of HP and OK. This, this model of a non-profit, um, non-profit entity partnering, I'm oh, sorry, this model of a non-profit entity which uh, and partners with a uh, for-profit physician group is fairly standard um, and robust, and the Kaiser model follows that Kaiser Foundation Health Plan is in fact a non-profit, um, and TPMG is for-profit, which with a very tight organizational structure, which for the last 60 years has been a foundation for that entire system. Do we know if this is also fairly standard in public uh, hospitals? It, uh, to some extent, some not as much from what I can Not as much. Many public hospitals have a physician employee unionized model, um, in which case, if you want, that is, yeah. that is a possibility. Um, but, like, for instance, um, Cook County, et cetera, and many others have a unionized model, but a lot of um, safety net hospitals are also affiliated with universities, and so their university medical group oftentimes um, is the structure under which they function. So, if I could just say, I'd like to, you know, address what was said, you know, regarding the grand jury's report. You know, the, in, you know, from, you know, my perspective, and you know, in our, you know, response to that issue, and you know, how we had looked at it before. You know, the, the fundamental issue, you know, raised by the grand jury is that, you know, as public employees, we have, you know, a responsibility with respect to the public funds that we're expending. Other folks who aren't public employees do not have that same obligation. They may get close to that obligation by virtue of the position they hold, but to the extent that you know, their allegiances or their fundamental loyalties go to some other organization, i.e. the organization that employs them, that's different than a public employee discharging those same responsibilities. And so that you know, you're looking at uh, the wire diagram, you know, the question of those folks who are making the decisions about the disposition of the resources, the public resources that, you know, have been um, entrusted to the organization, that's where the question lies. And whether or not, you know, those that you know, trust can be placed on somebody who has a higher loyalty or a higher duty. And, you know, it's not to say that there is not, you know, a sense of responsibility to the organization or there's not, you know, a sense of responsibility to the person. It's just the fundamental, you know, legal principle that, you know, that's what is their concern and that's what they're looking at. And so I, I think, you know, that it's correct to say that, you know, there are certainly things, you know, because conflicts of interest, you know, you know typically tend to be along a, you know, spectrum, you know, if they're not, you know, absolute in terms of, you know, someone taking advantage of their position. But it's going to be at the end of the day, the question is, is can you create enough of a relationship that it's going to satisfy that? And it's not just simply a question of saying, okay, well, someone else will pay or that, 
you know, it's, it's clear how it's being made. It goes back to that fundamental issue of who's controlling what under these things. Thank you. In, in this model, as I understand it, Mr. Roy, I mean, if AHP still depends, as that is the, the current proposal, the AHP board still controls the finances and funding. So it's not there has to be transparency, transparency too. It's, it's not just a question of finances and funding, though, because finances and funding are one piece of it, the actual disposition of the resources are a piece, and that's what happens through those folks who are making day-to-day -day decisions about how those resources you know, will be disposed and distributed of, separate apart from you know, the overall decision of you know, how finance and funding comes along. And I think that's the issue that if it wasn't identified by um, the grand jury report, that I think is raised naturally, you know, when you look at, you know, essentially what's required, you know, with respect to public resources and how we go about, you know, dealing with them. And it's not only, you know, with respect to just sort of the basic thing, but, you know, every one of our relationships, our relationship with Purse, our relationship, you know, with CMS, they all have these same sorts of things which are a little bit different than what Kaiser is subjected to, or what Sutter is subjected to. And so again, that's part of the reason why a model for them doesn't necessarily work for us, or a model model of a model for them doesn't necessarily work for us. So. All right. So it would seem that those thresholds that are related to um, those lines that you're referring to, we need to have those tested early in this process. Are you? Is your office, or you, do you have the bandwidth to do that? Well, or us in the last year or so, you know, AHP, you know, has its, has its own counsel that deals with this. And, you know, this is, uh, yeah, I've articulated to them, you know, here's our concern, you know, because you know, really have AHS and then there's AHP, and the question is, you know, AHP, you know, how they're going to deal with this relationship. And, you know, I think, you know, I tried to make clear to them, that, you know, look, this, this is one of the fundamental pieces here. And if we don't get past that, then uh, I think, you know, that's you know, pretty yeah. problematic. Thank you. So if you, I just wanted to get clear on something. So if, if we negotiated uh, contracts with the new entity, okay, Part of the Kaiser model is if you're uh, uh, efficient and effective, the physicians can share in, they, they take the risk and they share in the reward. So they, they can end up financially a little better off, you know, and, and, it's, and it's really, that model's really worked well for them. And I'm, I'm wondering with, um, with CMS and Medicaid and so forth, if we went with that model, we negotiated a contract with them kind of on a, we'll say like a modified fee-for-service basis would the reimbursement, when we got to the reimbursement part of it, would it be as kind of like an arm's length transaction or not, you know, because of their, of the relationship of us being a sort of a public, oh, yeah. public hospital? Sorry, just, yeah, we can yeah. look closer to the mic. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so, you know, in answering the question, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase and tell me if you can, just so, you know, the, the question of whether or not you could have, you know, incentive-based agreements that would uh, be uh, acceptable in a Medicare, Medi-Cal setting um, and not violate their rules, is that essentially the question, um, given that 
that's essentially Kaiser has sort of an incentive-based relationship, or TPMG has an incentive-based right. relationship, right. With, and whether or not we can do that. Well, so all of the, the compensation that we pay to folks, whether they're employed or not employed, it's a little bit different when they're not employed by contract and with them, you know, is subject to the determination that we are in fact, you know, paying, you know, what's called a fair market value for the services that are being provided to us. And so I, I can barely hear you, Mike. Okay. So it's subject to an analysis of whether or not it is a fair market value for the services that we are being provided. And so, uh, you know, However, that's the compensation is determined, you know, whether or not it's, you know, a base piece or incentive base, that's still going to be a requirement that we have to satisfy. Thank you. So it becomes one of the challenges, I think, you know, for, for uh, an entity like, like, like this, you know, it's a little bit different than the Kaiser model. I, I like the Kaiser model. I think it's a good business model in terms of the physician group. And, there's a lot of alignment, but I just want to, you know, it just, it, it, ha it does have that, you know, litmus test that you have to go through. And I guess to follow up on that kind of line of thinking, is, is there a shared risk in this arrangement? That's that, it has to be built, but it's, it should be executable. That's one of the intentions. That's part of the reason to move away from fixed contracts. So it would, it would not be an IPA, though, that uh, actually takes financial risk? Not, not as conceived at the moment. I mean, you know, part of it is it's still going to be dependent upon building infrastructure from HS for having things like supplemental funding. Um, so I don't think it would operate in quite the same way, but in theory, you know, you can you can build the incentives that way more or less. And of course, you can have thoughtful discussions about what is affordable at the moment and what is not, and you can adjust things as needed because you're meeting monthly to discuss finances. But it's an upside risk. Well, it could be downside as well. Okay. I, mean, I think there are ways to do it, but yeah. I think I'd like to understand more about what those ways might be. Sure. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, if there's any more questions, I think this has been really informative, and uh, we still have a really full agenda. So I really, really thank you. And are we going to see? Uh, an, uh, are we going to continue to get updates like this uh, as the process unfolds over the next few months? Well, I think the answer is we need to iron out some of the details. If yeah. So if you, if you wish for us to proceed, we need to iron out details and then bring bring those back, basically. <laughs> But this is not an action item. No, it's not an action item. Uh, I think the, 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 the impetus for you asking for uh, an update on this at the structure was uh, that, that this uh, approach or this uh, concept that's being explored uh, is a departure from the plan that you set out, the strategic plan that you set out, and that it was uh, happening or we were reaching a point in the uh, process where 
if, if uh, there wasn't a concrete path forward, and this is, as your executive, what, we've been, what I've been articulating, is that the organization needs to have maneuverability in order to actually have true alternatives. And so there is the pressure that I have uh, um, uh, employed on, on the group to say, we don't have a lot of time to figure this out. Uh, and uh, to the extent that there is a, um, uh, any, any uh, ambiguity around a path forward here that is, uh, uh, is clearly viable and will work and has earned out all these things that we have to move in it. We have to continue to move in the path that was set forth in the plan. Unless we run out of time. Uh, and uh, the reality is that we're, we're there. And this is the end of November. November, uh, January will be a year and a half, and uh, this is a significant contract uh, that uh, uh, the NHP board has reiterated their intention not to renew under this same construct. And so if it's not uh, figured out in the next 30 days, uh, then uh, there has to be action uh, unless there's any other uh, direction to the contrary or, or uh, Otherwise, there has to be action to move forward with the plan, which is uh, uh, to, to bring employment uh, um, or consolidate that under the uh, structure that we've invested in and established in the SHP. Okay. So, there's, so, so the, 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 the 30 days is a... 30 days. Is it, um, because it gets you to the year and a half mark. Yeah, but it's an aspirational goal that we both It's not just aspirational. It's, it's, it's halfway through the contract. Right. It's a, it's a pragmatic time frame for which you say if you're going to have any realistic um, um, opportunity to do anything else, which you need to have as an organization, uh, you need the time to do it. And this is a pretty significant thing that has to happen. So if you don't have that time, you really don't have a choice. So the absence of making uh, a, 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 um, um, a, a direction and a decision at that point is a decision. And that decision is that you've now said, the decision I made before is not going to move forward, so I'm going to uh, continue uh, or change directions and, and, and continue whatever comes forward out of this or uh, uh, with the exact same thing you already have. Are you saying we're at a go, no go decision point? I'm, I'm not saying it's here now, but I'm saying it's right upon us, yes. When is that? Yeah, when would that? So we, we, what we articulated was that, it, that this needed to be figured out within a year and a half, and we're at the year and a half in January. Okay. Um, well, I just heard from the leadership that there's a lot to be done, and so. What is the criteria of what's needed? What, what's the criteria of what's needed by January? What, what does that look like for you? So there's a lot of pieces that haven't been figured out. The financial model that, that comes forward here, the whole contract, there's no, there's no agreement in place at this point. Uh, there is a concept that's continuing to be uh, ironed out and uh, explored. Uh, um, 
as uh, Dr. Carney mentioned, this, this model is very concrete. It is that the physician employment, which currently happens under uh, both constructs, would go under one. So there are a group of doctors, as Dr. Carney mentioned, about 40 or so that we have taken from EHS or other contractual relationships that they had before and brought under EHP that this path would say that is that this organization is making the decision that that, that path no longer exists. So that over the next year and a half, while this is getting uh, figured out and implemented, we're saying to those providers, this is the way in which you will engage with this organization, uh, or you won't. Well, the alternative is the 127, 200 providers under OCARE, if that's no longer, if, if we're not going to have a contract with OCARE anymore in 18 months or 19 months, Correct. then those providers would have to become employees of AHP, Correct. which was the initial concept when AHP was created back in 2013. From this organization's perspective, right. 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 So that's that's the that's the shift, the departure from the the, the, the approved strategic plan and direction from 2013. Um, so I guess the question to us, which is not a decision we're being asked to make tonight, but is on the table, is um, is everyone cool with the departure from that strategic plan and physicians all becoming part of AMG instead of OMG, which I kind of like OMG, but uh, uh, or do they all, does everyone who's part of OMG become part of AHP? And so that's, that's essentially it. You know, I think for me, I'd like to see what are the financial implications of that, right? And the, like, we're looking at structure, right? And structure is structure. And, and what you're proposing is fine to have an AHP and an AMG and having coming from that model. I greatly understand the benefits of it. But those benefits can be far outweighed by the financial arrangements that need to also be put in place. So I commend you on, on where you've gotten it with the model, but I also agree that the model, the success of that model is very much dependent upon the financial implications of the way it's structured. And so I think that does have to get worked out sooner rather than later. But if there's a, sorry to uh, interject, but if there's a question of displacing AHP physicians into this new organization or displacing care physicians into AHP, I again have to reiterate that the, that the leadership of both organizations have come up with this model um, and are supportive of it. So, you know, agreed absolutely with the financial implications, but in terms of the principle and the philosophy, the physicians are all important. shows that independent groups that are aligned by mission, that interact in a strict PSA, where there can be upside and downside, sure. and the totality of the contract anchored to a standard national benchmark with accountability, that can deliver. And there's good articles I can share about improved quality, attributable to improve provider satisfaction, as well as decrease overall healthcare expenditures when there's two different perspectives, two partners working together on behalf of the patient. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you. I think um, unless anyone has any more burning questions or comments, I think uh, we need to move on to the next item. Is everyone happy with that? All right, that's so, so long. Not a boring night.
Yeah. I think the important also thing is, so next step is please iron out these details and bring it to the next board. Like, we just want to make sure that we're on track here. Well, well um, just to be super clear about that, I, I did hear a little bit of a disjointedness here at the very end. Yes. I heard there's um, collectively uh, consensus about moving in that direction. I'm not sure I'm clear on what is it that we need in January. And so it, does, it doesn't have to be ironed out this minute, but it feels like there's got to be an agreement between uh, the administration and both of you on what is that outline of the timeline. And that might need to be coming to us in January. Is that a fair statement, Deborah? Uh, Sammy, I, I, I think it, it, it still has to be more aggressive than that. But more um, aggressive. Yeah. Could you say it out loud? So I, mean, I, I think what it has to be in, in, in place uh, at, by, by that time is the actual plan. What, 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 uh, yeah, fully formulated plan for what this would look like, which involves a lot more stakeholder engagement to make sure that those individuals who would be impacted by this, and to be clear, this model now is a model that says that, that, that those 40 or so who are, who are uh, tangentially employees that we have invested in, those are the people who have to be on, on board with this, or not. And we have to be comfortable with if they're not on board with this thing, Sorry, that's this is a path we're pursuing. Uh, um, no different than the reverse, which I think is equally true. That you have a group of providers who are uh, uh, aligned with the organization, but not employees of the organization, who have to be on board with the path plan that we already set forth. And if they're not, the same is true. Uh, uh, and now. Uh, having heard this, and I think it's fair to say that there are uh, both, and I say both organizations now because this is really tripartite. It's not just two entities, it's HLS instead of P, and it's, uh, and it's uh, uh, what's currently Orange, but whatever the uh, construct will become, all understanding that this is this is a direction that we want to move in. So what I would say to you is really what you, who you should hear from is your only home subsidiary. So you have the executive for, um, uh, AHP here, but we need to hear from the board or, or some entity who's imbued by the board. Gassan uh, is a chair, but there are other board members uh, who are here. Uh, but the board needs to come to you because this impacts them, and we need to hear directly from them that this is a direction that they support and that they want to advance. Uh, and then if that's going to take some time to figure out that they're willing to take that gamble with your, your uh, endorsement, that we'd be moving in an entirely different direction. Otherwise, my position is that if you don't do that, you are effectively, this is, no, this is not happening in a vacuum. We have epic, we have all these other things that are going on. What's going to happen is effectively you'll get to a point where there is no real time to actually figure something out. So you basically said the status quo will continue until such time that something else comes out. And that is, that's the opposite of planning and executing. I appreciate that because I think we do have a cultural way of doing things around here that uh, sometimes is about deadlines. Chiefs uh, made that point, his final comments, and I think um, that relates to this, so I appreciate that. I also think it might be worth um, considering having um, the uh, stakeholders work with uh, executive staff on the possibility of some high-level report at Finance Committee. Uh, to address the questions around, I don't call them threshold questions, mm -hmm. we're in the two um, trustees' questions about uh, finances, about um, 
compliance with uh, public monies um, in relationship to the structure. Um, so, so that's something I'm not, not asking for. I'm suggesting that might be helpful to keep the board of the trustees along simultaneously in the process. I'd like to say in, 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 in closing, um, I think that I, I agree and, and I think that the last thing anyone wants to do is to preserve the status quo. Um, it is a, you know, OCARE has been around for 20 plus years. I've been an employee of OCARE for the last 18 years and I am willing to leave the organization for a new organization. Um, and that is not something that happens often in somebody who's mid-career. Um, but yet, I've spent the last 23 years at this institution, and I plan to spend the rest of my career here. Um, and I know that other members in OCARE are also willing to do this. Um, and members in AHP who have been participating, and a lot of members in AHP here, who have been participating in this fundamental negotiation are, are compelled, if you will, to sort of take a look at this new structure. And although I don't think anyone wants inertia, I don't think anyone wants uh, and no one wants the status quo. We know that we have to be nimble. We know that we have to share risk. We know that that is part of this new process, and I'm, I'm confident that the positions are important. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you all. Yeah. Um, let's move on to uh, G1, I think, is our next item, correct? <coughs> I, just, uh, I want to say on this, uh, are we expecting a, uh, somebody want to get talking? I got it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, is he on the brain? Yeah. Who's a little? Yeah. 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 How was the rain? It was wonderful. <laughs> well, I do want to encourage my fellow members to uh, the, the mics aren't um, super like, responsive tonight, so you do have to hunch over. But I really think it's important for everyone to be able to hear us. And so I'm just going to remind everybody to, to, to lean in. Um, so I have one, two, three, four. I do have four um, speaker cards on this item. Um, do the, the staff want to make a pre presentation for uh, How do you think it might be? If you, with your indulgence, it would be better if we could yeah. just sort of set the context and then set the Please do. And I just want to point out, because I noticed that all the, all the folks that signed up, well, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Do, do your thing, please. I'll we'll try. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so, trustees, uh, what you have before you uh, uh, with this item is a, it's an action item, or an action item for approval of a, uh, a path forward with respect to licensing of the acute rehab service. In this case, uh, the, uh, um, the uh, recommended uh, action from the staff is that that be uh, done in the way of consolidating the license under um, um, one license for both the core and for San Leandro Hospital. Uh, we've outlined for you what we think are the drivers for that, as well as then uh, uh, sort of a sequence of time uh, timeline to do that. Uh, what I want to clarify, uh, as uh, Trustee DeVries uh, said in, in his opening remarks, was uh, last month when we presented um, this, this to you as an educational item, uh, in order for us to share with you the various dimensions of the things that were impacted, whether it's medical staff, operations, um, labor, finance, uh, we had to create 
in basically the uh, prototype models uh, to show you on the both models, or to show you on the both constructs of licensing uh, it separately under San Leandro or um, consolidating the entirety. That was in no means meant to suggest that everything that went along with either of those models was absolutely what would happen if you chose one of those models. What you're deciding at this point is how to license the service and then what the associated impact is on the medical staff side. The thing that does happen through this option, and I'll point out on option B, um, um, there is a larger financial available revenue implication for the organization. And that's driven by the uh, unfunded costs that we incur being able to be captured, uh, reflected and captured better. So there's about a $5 million favorable impact to the organization uh, by going with option B on an operating basis going forward. On the expense side, um, uh, the, the, when we gave you the model, we said, um, just for sake of an example, if there was a consolidation under SEIU, because that was the most expensive one, we wanted to show you that it was still a favorable outcome. That was not to suggest that this happens, that that has to happen. In fact, through our outside counsel, what we understand is that uh, anything that would happen under a labor construct, if anything at all happened, would not likely uh, transpire and, and until we were actually in the same space. Uh, but it's in that the, things, the range of what could happen could be uh, from nothing, and that uh, the rehab staff could still be represented by SEIU or whatever union uh, they're represented by, and the rest of the staff at San Leandro could continue to be represented by CNA or whatever the union they're uh, represented by. The reality is, if you took that model and thought about it more, if that came to pass, that's an even more favorable experience for the organization because the associated costs that came with thinking about the pension plan and the salaries and all that don't come to pass. All of that is to say that that was just to give you an idea. What you are deciding here, what we're proposing is that um, the move towards the strategy that we've laid out in terms of systems uh, is more um, um, uh, accelerated in advance by going with an option B that then gives you the opportunity to consolidate the medical staff and to uh, uh, generate uh, additional uh, favorable revenue for the organization. We don't say that lightly, understanding that uh, pieces of that are uh, um, uh, fairly robust, particularly on the medical staff front. Uh, I won't speak for uh, uh, my uh, clinician uh, colleagues. I'm sure you'd like to hear from them. Uh, I, they uh, give them kudos to your request to have been meeting and talking about this. Uh, they have indulged us in order to sort of share how things are progressing, in, in addition to sharing some perspectives around uh, uh, their understanding of how these things work and, and what it would take. Um, I will say for the sake of uh, uh, just offering my perspective on some of the information that has been provided to you. Uh, um, this model uh, that we're prescribing or what's uh, transpiring in our contacts is, is slightly different than what you have here, but in a significant way. Uh, this is a consolidation of a license, and then you're consolidating the licensure, driving the fact that you can only have one medical state. Um, staff under a license, uh, a license. The model we have here that's been described and, and how, what that takes is a voluntary determination by a group of separately licensed facilities to become one medical staff. And then having all the other machinations that uh, come along with that, like including an option to opt in or out because they're all still separately licensed. This would be all one license. Uh, and even with that model, once they decided to consolidate, uh, if, when you 
of this material, what you see is, and this is but an end of one, that that process actually took about five months. And that's part of what we're, um, why we're advocating for you to make the decision now, because uh, option B, uh, again, which we'll talk about why we think that makes more sense, that time would be necessary for that work to happen, for the medical staff to talk about consolidation. Uh, the beautiful thing in this case is that you have a core medical staff that already has a model where there's multi-site representation under one construct. Uh, uh, and we believe that that is easily extrapolated to a, 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 another facility within the system and, again, comes with all the other uh, uh, benefits that I've outlined. So uh, I will uh, pause there. Um, Certainly, uh, public comment or any questions you have for us, uh, and then decide what you want to do. I have a question. Sure. Um, just, just to be clear, the, the presentation that we had last month sure. at Fair Trade, the option B was presented as um, the implications would be. It's a little bit different. Under scenario B, necessitates that all employees from San Leonardo Hospital move over as employees of the core under the MOUs and benefits of that structure. Is that, is that accurate? It's accurate because that's the model that we constructed. And that's what we weren't saying that that's absolutely what has to happen. We, were, we designed a model to show you what could happen, and then we talked about all the elements of what that model comprised. And then so you're not asking us to approve scenario B? We're asking to approve the part of scenario B, which is the overarching piece, which is the merger of uh, the, the license under one entity. Not everything that was described under that model, seeing that all of that would actually happen. And so what else doesn't happen besides the, um, the, the all employee move from San Leandro Hospital to become employees of the court, or is that not the case? No, so, so it's all under one license, so it would be, it's, uh, we can call it, uh, you can call it the core, you can call it whatever you want to, but it would be all of those employees being under there, but it has no implication for the labor representation. The licensure has no implication on the labor uh, side, and the licensure doesn't have any implications on then what happens for everything else that goes along with the labor arrangement. So the benefits calculus, or the benefits assignments, the salaries, and every other uh, piece that we modeled out for you to show you what it wouldn't look like financially if that came to pass. Well, I think uh, last time you know, your model was uh, to sell us own systemness. It looks like we're losing, a, or it seems like it, we're losing, a, you're giving out a big portion of it, which is the labor part. And now it's only, only systemness about this option B, which is just the medical staff. Is that correct? Uh, the big part of it would be medical staff, but it's also the opportunity to take those resources that come along with creating this model to further accelerate uh, other aspects of uh, system. Uh, as far as the labor union, uh, that, that part's not going to happen? It's, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm saying it's not within our purview to make happen. Okay. So I think um, from that, it looks like we, you know, the systemness is not so much systemness anymore. As far as appears that you are in more describing a scenario where nurses from Highland can come to San Andrew and work, work in the research unit and and, uh, and the nurses from, uh, from some ED in San Andrew, there's a shortage in, in the Highland core ED can, can move there. Is that possible if there's under different uh, labor union? Uh, no, it continues to not be, but there's, there's nothing about this that says that that couldn't happen, it could happen, or it couldn't happen. If it doesn't happen, then yes, that's true. If it does happen, then, then the opposite is true. Okay. 
So just to be clear, it never was AHS's decision uh, or, or, or power to decide the representation of the employees under this license change. It's a scenario that you were showing us. It, it, it really will be the decision of the employees and the organizations and relatively per correct. Right. And the same could happen under option A, just so we're clear about it. So option right. A would take the model that because it would still be under a separate license that, that there would be no uh, uh, well that the likelihood would be that everything would stay fairly static in terms of the labor representation. That's not necessarily the case. They could because they're in the same physical footprint, that same that whatever underpinnings any either or any of the unions decide uh, um, prescribe what they think is the interpretation of the agreement could still come to pass under that construct as well. So since the, the, the main discussion and the main contention was the, um, the, the um, proposal including this, this requirement or this, this effective establishment of moving all employees either into one MOU or the other, which was what was stated in the last two options. It was never stated that employees would all have to, that there would be an ending of an MOU. It says here it necessitates that all employees for some year and a half will move over to the Under the MOUs of that organization. That's what it says. I'm not saying it doesn't say that. I'm saying that was a description of the model that we described. Right, right, right. That we put together. No, but, but what I said to your point is that wasn't the main thing. And I, I think you the providers who were saying that, that wasn't the main thing. That there's a lot of big components here in the medical software. Well, it's the desire of AHF to that. Well, I, no, I no, 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 no. This is the We were told from the very beginning that it was not our decision. That it's going to determination, but there was a prediction by staff that Perb would be asked to make a decision by the labor representatives of, the, of these employees. Correct. The one we modeled out as the one that we thought would be the costlier one, so that you would have an example of an idea that we are looking at. I mean, I, I, got, it, I got it last month. We, we do not have that authority, and, it, and it's, not our, it's not our fight, if you will. It's, it's a Perb, you know, union labor issue, and, and uh, you were painting the scenario for us. Sure. Um, well, I also did never saw her that we would be ending an MOU mid-contract with, right. with any organization. Not our intention. Well, I, what I heard was that that was part of the that you striving toward, to have this union to negotiate with, to have uh, the labor, uh, the uh, human resource, able to move from one, one, uh, hospital, one, hospital, one hospital to the other. That was called as a mounted as a benefit of the integration. And that's correct. And that, that seems like, to me, that's one of your desire to do. It is correct that we believe uh, that, uh, that the board's, the, the board's uh, expression of an organization having a good system is, is the ability for people, not just for kind of the routine work, but for even progressive opportunities to be able to work as a true system. As a system now, we have fragmented uh, elements of our organization that are driven largely by historical and, um, and ongoing cost challenges uh, for the organization. And, we, and that then 
presents difficulties with respect to how we're able to uh, uh, create the type of employment opportunity for everyone that's a consistent one across the organization. It is stuck, and, and so I think it is fair, and I, and I want to uh, uh, validate your, your understanding that that is, in fact, what we're saying. We don't suggest, though, that, that this would necessarily be the driver for that. It certainly could be something that enables it, uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to happen. Can I say another question? Um, if we, if San Leandro becomes part of the Corps' license, mm -hmm. and we're faced with a, a, a reduction in force, um, do the nurses who were part of the Corps, because they work at the rehab unit, mm -hmm. have seniority over the San Leandro nurses because they now are part of the Corps and, and lose their seniority? The, the, any time there's either a reduction or even an increase of what happened up, and it's based off of what's happening in a particular unit. This is a fairly discrete service, and so anything happening, it, it would be no different than saying you have a reduction in force in the OR at San Leandro, but the EB nurses' seniority would be an issue. They're all in the same unit. It's, in, it's whatever's happening in that area. What if, um, what if down the road Perb did decide that all the nurses should be represented throughout the system by one organization? Mm -hmm. Would the nurses that were represented by the prior organization who were in a similar unit at Highland, you know... Well, how would it help the seniority and other pieces? Yeah, but well, Highland works in the same I would imagine that that's if, if the unions are created, that ultimately have to make it, the unions would have to make a decision how to treat those members that would come in. I don't think the mic's working. You're correct. <laughs> the unions would have to make a determination how they wanted to treat the members coming from the other union. There would be a negotiation about how the, would they continue over with existing seniority, would it be half of the seniority, would there have to be a dialogue about that? To, to a couple of the earlier points you made in the model, uh, Trustee Jensen, the model could based on how employees are treated today. So an employee leaves the court today, goes over there to San Leandro, they terminally hired into those unions. So we modeled out larger, larger proportions of that to say this is where it would go. It was always the intent that if we made this move, that the employees would move over, uh, as Trustee Lee said, we then don't have control. The employees have to make a determination, they have to engage Perth. We modeled out what the basis would be if we followed what we do today, and then an alternative to that with any of the costs associated with that. Because once we put employees uh, from SEIU, general unit, and nursing unit in the same physical location as CNA nurses uh, in the San Leandro Hospital, we thought there was likely something going to happen. What that is, we don't actually know, and that's ultimately up to those employees to make a decision through their representatives. But we wanted to model out all the options that you can see, the most extreme, uh, what would happen, because once you start to potentially create units together, that's likely to grow. It's not likely to be one unit. SIU also has a general unit at San Leandro Hospital already, and some employees will move over once this happens, and so there's the risk of, of that unit merging or recruiting. We don't actually know what will occur, but we had to model this out in the, the most expensive and then a less expensive way so that you could ultimately see it. Always knowing that we wouldn't control how that played out, it is ultimately up to the employees and, and in the end curve. So, um, if, 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 if this is adopted and if the employees at San Leandro Hospital become employees of the core, 
um, regardless of, and they would remain CNA. So that would, would that have an impact on an employee? So give an example, could an employee from um, the core here at Highland or the core at um, Fairmont who, who decide that they want to um, apply for a position at San Leandro Hospital and they would have some already uh, uh, an employee at San Leandro Hospital who's been there for some time. Each of these questions depend. If it runs on the representation as it ultimately plays out in the court, there are still underlying pension issues that are concerns here that when we established um, ownership of San Leandro and Alameda hospitals, that the employees of those... We don't have ownership yeah, of sorry. Okay. Uh, then an agreement, a joint powers agreement to operate Alameda Hospital and acquired San Leandro Hospital, um, that the employees within those entities and future employees in those entities should be excluded from the SILA. Those issues still have to be addressed. There are legal complications around that that will take some time to work out. They would have to be bargained with each of the units. And so it really depends. There is no simple answer to that about what seniority will look like because it depends who ultimately represents the employees in each facility in each of the classifications. And then we're going to have to deal separately with the pension issues that may then be associated with those decisions. Well, it was kind of, I mean, the, the simple question was two employees, same classification, two different unions working at the same place, just two different labor representations. Does the contract determine their seniority, or does the... Yes, because the positions are represented by the union, so if the, if, if the job is a med search nurse at... at uh, at uh, 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 San Leandro, did your question if that, if that position was vacant, who gets it? Uh, well, yeah, my question is if there was a med search um, opening at San Leandro Hospital, uh -huh. would, the, would the, the, the person who's been um, the med search finished with the seniority who wants that position have seniority over someone in the core who otherwise Right now, would not be. Yes, because the person in the course seniority is still. Uh, yes, it's, it's by SEIU. It's not. It's not seniority. Okay. So it doesn't. It doesn't have to do with license. It has no. to do with the. It has to do with the labor. The, the, the licensing and the labor aren't, aren't intrinsically uh, uh, tied together. It is just the models that we created for you. Um, and there's nothing. If you did option A, the same thing with the answer would be the same. So if. Um, <coughs> You know, I know there's some concern about the timeline that we have. Uh, I know that the administration is very worried about making sure we have a license next January yes. um, to run a rehab facility. I think that's probably a pretty good idea. Um, uh, if we take this vote and it's to, to change the licensing, that licensing doesn't change for, for quite some time. Okay. And at what point can these conversations about or decisions be made by our, our labor partners, or, you know, or the employees, does that start after January 2020? The medical stuff? The labor stuff. The labor stuff. The labor stuff. The labor stuff. My understanding is it's not like that that, that would uh, be a pressing issue until we're actually in the, in the same space. Right. I mean, there's nothing, so, cha nothing changes between now and January 2020. Cool. And, and even if, let's say that there, that there was some action triggered by either or both of the unions uh, deciding to assert whatever rights they thought they had. 
my understanding is that process then takes quite a while. Right, but that process can't begin right. until the licensing takes place. Correct. And the, only, and the reason we're having the discussion now is to give ourselves that ramp up time for that licensing to take place because of the requirements under the substance law. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that's what the nurses, the physicians, though, when they, when the decision is made to do the license, then how much time do they have? So that's the, we, we model out a timeline for you. Effectively, we have to have the, the facility license before we can occupy it. Right. That needs to happen sometime in the latter part of calendar year 2019, which uh, I think we modeled it happening in, in November. Uh, so we're ready then to fit up and move everything over. Uh, uh, done with that by then. But we have to actually apply for that process to take place. And then uh, CMS, or I'm sorry, the state has a few months of a, a sort of, um, a window for which they can then uh, schedule and come out and use. So we need to have it in place when we apply for it. And so that gives us about a, a four or five month period uh, for us to uh, do all the uh, reviews and bylaws adjustments that uh, the medical staffs would agree to. Those need to have um, that consolidated um, bylaws need to come to you for a vote, and then we need to go back to the medical staffs for a vote. So all of that needs to happen over about a six six month period. Oh, okay. So we don't have as long for the doctors as these potential changes for labor, which are uh, uh, essential. We have no control over that's down the road. But for the medical, uh, staff, that's that's it, yeah. It's much um, I, I actually appreciate you bringing that up. I wanted to ask Doctor Stewart. I I know we we urged there to be a series of meetings. Yes, and we hear what's happened since. Yes, then. we had a series of meetings, three or four meetings actually. We actually squeezed in quite a bit of meeting between. Uh, we have things out in principle what could happen, uh, but um, as far as you know, the, the, the devil is in the detail. We get down to the nitty gritty of it. Uh, you know, I'm sure some of you might have seen the presentation that um, I sent to you um, that you know, um, I talked about uh, a merger of the medical staff. And uh, yes, uh, the situation is a bit different. They are under different licensing. Yeah. And they do need uh, majority uh, approval before that, that could happen. But just, uh, just because you know, we don't need a medical state approval doesn't mean that we should not get it. Uh, I definitely uh, think we should get medical staff approval before you uh, uh, approve the revised um, um, bylaw. And you see the, the process they have, they come out, they come out with a decision. Once the board made a decision in this case, they made a decision in November 2014. Then they went through a discussion, it takes about 60 days of discussion uh, of all the medical staff leader. And then they come out with the version one. And then they, it goes back to the medical staff for uh, comments and things like that in version two and version three. And it, take, it took uh, it, um, the um, uh, time course, it took two and, two and a half years. And uh, I think we can work diligently and uh, uh, we will try to, uh, know if that's force desire, we will try to deliver a uh, final, um, you know, uh, 
financial medical staff and IHS medical staff combined with the view of bylaw, that's uh, reasonable and that's uh, equitable to uh, both the medical staff. Uh, I'll say a year and a half. Um, so uh, I, um, other than that, uh, we um, uh, we are committed. Uh, if that's force uh, desire uh, to have combined medical staff, we're committed. We will make it happen. But uh, again, it doesn't take that. Uh, it takes a year and a half um, in, in the most optimal uh, situation. And uh, what we think uh, it would be a, a reasonable uh, alternative would be for, uh, for to, to adopt um, option A and give us the time, say, year, two year, to get this together. And, and that doesn't slow down the uh, move of rehab into San Diego at all. And that also, in labor union-wise, it would be easier few nurses over changing the union or not changing the union and over to San Diego Hospital and uh, while uh, doing that. And uh, we also uh, um, have um, some uh, roadmap which I uh, described to you in uh, this handout right here. So the roadmap of what should or what the board uh, would recommend the board adopt. And uh, so to help us uh, moving, you know, improve patient care, improve patient access. Uh, uh, if you want, I can just go ahead and go through real quick. Um, the first one is uh, fairly uh, straightforward. We need some clarity from the board and uh, NHS administration. What's the vision for San Diego Hospital? And it seems to become less clear now with all this going on. We need to know, know is, is it going to be a community hospital? Are you going to be welcoming uh, new community uh, primary care, the surgeon to come, bring more patients to the hospital? Or if it's just, uh, if it's just going to be <coughs> purely a population uh, center, a population health center, uh, serving the, uh, uh, the uh, uninsured, underinsured, or is there a scenario where we can also serve the insured patient and uh, Medicare patient of San Diego Hospital. And so that's what we really want to clear to over that vision. And the other one is that we need some infrastructure uh, improvement. Uh, right now it's really, and it's also really in the ER of San Diego Hospital. And uh, there's leaking uh, roof and it just didn't happen this year. It happened over the past two or three years. And uh, you know, sure enough, you know, this rain time is raining there. The OR was closed over the past few weeks uh, because uh, the climate system is just too old. And it was you know, really, uh, the humidity level was just too dry. And they had to shut down the OR uh, completely. And there, there's also some uh, plan on shutting, them, shutting down the OR to just one OR room. And can you imagine the Back of access that patient will have is some, but we have a one emergent surgery that's going to push all the surgery schedule two to three hours behind, and that, you know, that if, and if you do that to the elective patient to the to the surgeon, they will not come back again. Uh, and, and what happens if two emergencies that comes in, then we'll be really uh, limiting the access 
uh, to to the uh, patient. And um, so uh, we you know asked the board to uh, make uh, infrastructure investment in San Andrew Hospital and democracy. You know, which I'm talking about. Uh, you know, just because it doesn't require the uh, medical staff to get approval doesn't mean that we should not get it. This is a marriage between uh, two medical staff. We came from different culture, we have different pyramids, different patient population, and it's a marriage, and it's a marriage contract. We, we have it right here. We need to be agreed to by both parties, or it's just not, you know, it's, it's enforcement, and we don't want that to happen. And uh, for, fourth one is representation. Now we think Sanger uh, uh, Hospital will be unrepresented, and uh, we urge that uh, we, uh, a member of uh, financial commission, be uh, have a seat in, in the board, a voting seat in the board, and uh, to uh, the the Songnine Community Hospital Commission give you real time data, unbiased data to allow you to make better decision on the uh, on how, to, uh, how to run the hospital and uh, on the needs of the hospital. And uh, so we, we, and with this for we need time. We need a year and a half. And uh, so hopefully uh, within two years, you can have your, uh, you can have the integration medical staff. And it looks like you now what um, we presented right now uh, the integration, uh, only, now only uh, the goal of integration looks like uh, is only half is going to happen. And, uh, and you know, on the other half, we want to make it right. We, we need time uh, to, uh, uh, we need time to um, go through this carefully, as you say, uh, as you see in the presentation. One, one of uh, the four points that do not rush the medical staff. And, uh, that's why I'm asking uh, the board uh, to adopt. And, uh, and uh, I have uh, my uh, uh, upcoming uh, chief of staff, Michael Ingenio, here. And he's actually going to be much more intimately involved in the integration of the, uh, uh, and the merger of the uh, licensing at the hospital. Because uh, this will be my last meeting. And you'll probably be uh, very happy to hear that. But uh, Michael, do you have anything to add? I don't know if you guys. Um, yeah, it's a little out of order, but um, go for it. Oh, I'll try for it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if this, this mic works. Um, you know, I, I agree with what Joel has stated. Um, I, I think that some of the things that Delvecchio has said today are profoundly different from what I understood from the prior meeting. I, I must agree with you. Um, I, I had no understanding from that prior presentation that you could have two unions. I mean, the, the scenarios that were presented, even my, my, I had a big misunderstanding here. Um, and so, you know, essentially, if you're talking about the licenses just for operations, uh, the least disruptive thing to do at this stage is to move five physicians to a medical staff of 280 than to move 280 off of the staff, as I had stated before. I don't think, as a general principle, after some discussion with Joel and the other physicians there, there's going to be difficulty having a meeting of the minds um, in trying to get a unified medical staff here. I, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Um, I think that it's not the full 280, it's probably 16 or 70 or 80 that are really the active physicians there, but still a, a, a profoundly larger number than the five rehab docs that we're talking about here. Um, 
Um, I really think that the board wants to get buy-in and should get buy-in from the medical staff um, if, if this is going to go through. Um, and the, the post that I've taken from the medical staff has been that, that this has not been something that was given uh, enough time for them to consider. I think with the appropriate um, ideas that he set forth, this potentially uh, could be possible. The most important thing that George said, though, however, is clarity. Now, I'm a community physician. I'm not an employed physician um, by anyone other than our group. And our group has been one of the um, founding, if not important, groups at, at the hospital in terms of our OR volume. My partner's been in practice in San Diego for 30 years. Um, who still works full time. And there is a complete lack of clarity on what the vision of where that hospital is going to be for the community physicians from our perspective. Um, everything that changes seems to imply that, that the system really does not want to engage the community physicians in this facility, I, I must say. Now, whether that's real or perception, I don't know. But I can tell you that is the perception of the community physicians there. And if we're going to serve the community from this hospital, that doesn't mean just the underserved. It means everybody who lives in San Leandro, because those are the people that want to go to that hospital. And to do that, it means you're going to have to serve the insurer, the Medicare patients, the Medicare patients, everybody that our group takes care of. We, we make no distinctions, quite frankly. That has allowed us to take care of everybody, because we also take care of patients who are insured. Um, and I think if that is the vision for San Leandro Hospital, and you make that clear, I think you're going to get much better buy-in from the community physicians for the, the, the core of that hospital. Yeah. I really do. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to say, I, mean, I think that th this lack of clarity about the vision of San Leandro Hospital is a little surprising to me because I think that this system has been clear about preserving San Leandro Hospital's mission and, 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 and place in the community. And I'll, I'll defer to my trustee who represents that, that area, but in the effort to save the hospital when it was on the you know, chopping block by Sutter. Um, One thing that I and, 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 also, and, and as far as who we serve, absolutely it's part of the mission to serve everybody. Those who are insured, those who are Medicare, those who are Medi-Cal. And in fact, as I recall, when I came on this board, part of the strategic plan with creating this network was that we would have patients who could pay with private insurance, that we wouldn't just be a safety net hospital, but that we'd be a hospital that could serve all. And so I, I don't, I don't, I don't see the lack of clarity and vision from where I'm sitting. So I, I obviously we have work to do. Yeah, you still have work to do. Not vision, but action. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not, not and then as far as the infrastructure improvements and in the, in the operating room, I, mean, I think that's definitely a conversation we need to have. With, you know, from an operational perspective. But obviously we're investing capital in this rehab unit, which is urgent right now because the current one is seismically unsound. Um, so I, I think those are conversations we can have, but I don't necessarily see those coupled with this conversation about licensing, other than the fact that, and I respect that this is hard, and also for the nurses, it's just another hit at a very challenging time for us, and, and, I, and that I do understand. Um, but, um, you know, I'll turn it to you. Yeah, I wanted to ask Dr. Jamalitin, because I do uh, feel that the perception that the patients that you currently see will somehow not be seen. So if we get the license that we have, the core license, 
Dr. Because of the bed numbers and the uh, and the um, capacity of the physicians or whatever volume that they can handle, will the composition of the patients that that engineer sees will change the, the basic nature of it? Will they be seeing different patients than they see right now? No, I, I mean, uh, I, I don't think we differentiate any patients in terms, as physicians, in terms of their treatment. Uh, even here at Highland, we have private patients who come here. Doesn't mean that we, uh, uh, we differentiate. As, as physicians, we treat everybody the same. You know, and as a system, we keep everybody the same. So do you anticipate right now, do you see patients from San Leandro who might be indigent, who are others, are not having access to San Leandro, they are coming to Highland? Is that something that will be rectified through this license, or that's no, not something that you the see? Access, the, sorry, uh, the access really is not to the hospital. They have access to the hospital, but the access uh, for the private clinic is a problem, you know. So when uh, a physician takes care of a patient who is uh, uninsured or uninsured, and uh, they want to get access for them uh, in their private clinic, they cannot be reimbursed. They cannot be given free. So we lose money there because they are treating them. We don't get just doesn't get reimbursed. Is that what at the rate at, the, at which it? No, no. I think uh, this, this is the problem. problem. No, this is really uh, 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 we. They stay. You know, we have contract with our private uh, physicians who. Uh, to, to deliver we call it, uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, for indigenous care mm -hmm. uh, and reimburse them for, for the care they deliver within the hospital. Right. At the time of the discharge of the patients, uh, uh, the, the private physicians you know, cannot deliver care for them in the private clinic. I mean, we have, uh, in our dental clinic, we have 20% of our patients come from out of the county because the uh, the dentist cannot take care of them uh, as medical patient, and uh, and and this is this is the only difference that we have. Now, when uh, we have a physician uh, who uh, sees patients as like a mind specialty as a pulmonologist, I see a patient here. I can see them in in, in Highland. I don't have a private practice that I need to sustain and maintain. Uh, but when I see patient, I don't get reimbursed for. You know, I'm going to call the public speakers now. Since we've had one public speaker, I feel it would only be fair to call the other ones now, and then we can continue the dialogue. Is the board okay with that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So I have um, uh, Rachel Cook, um, Carol Brazzi, uh, Linda Strack, uh, Katha Henderson, and Ann Schreiber. Test, Okay. My name is Rachel Cook. Um, I'm a charge nurse at San Leandro Hospital's emergency room. Um, I'm a little nervous. I'm trying not to be intimidated by everyone, but you guys are intimidating, so help me through my jitters, please. Um, I'm going to start with some of the changes that have happened at San Leandro Hospital recently, just to give you a background of where we're coming from. Um, our third floor was closed, which limited the number of capacity beds we have to admit patients to. Okay? We knew that was in the plan, but it was coming, it wasn't a surprise. Doesn't make it any less challenging. 
Um, they laid off a bunch of nurses from our inpatient um, second floor um, situation. That's decreased our staff, um, and it's caused some challenges when it comes to staffing the unit for the number of beds we have up there. There's sometimes when we have beds available, but we don't have a nurse to take that patient, so instead the emergency rooms holding um, admission patients that should be admitted in the emergency room. This is happening almost every single shift now. Um, they rebid the nurses in the emergency room, so they changed our schedule, they changed our shifts, they changed the amount of time that we're working. Um, I know Ms. Jensen talked about some of the um, reasons that we're losing staff members, so that's the reason that we lost a bunch of good staff members in the emergency rooms because of the rebid. Um, we're having, we went to CS4E, um, do all new order sets and um, paperwork, and there was this group effort that um, put, let's get everyone on the same page when it comes to sepsis, and when it comes to CHF, and when it comes to COPD, and that's all great. But San Leandro, we paper chart, and that paper chart order set is seven, eight pages sometimes, and it's been changed now two or three times to reduce the number of pieces of paper that we're having to use, and um, it's just change after change after change, and it just feels like as a nurse you really can't get solid foot and you can't make heads or tails of what's going on. Um, we're getting a lot of burnout because of nurses being asked to work double shifts over time, come in on extra days, trying to fill these staffing problems that we're having. Um, our emergency room physicians have changed from a CEP to sound and all their methods to O care. Just this year. And now we're changing the license all And I think that we're bound to say that it's not that we don't want option B. I just think that it's too fast. Right? We don't have solid footing. We don't understand it. As you can tell, there's so many questions. There's so many things that are um, not understood yet that it's too quick of a decision to make. And I would suggest being more prudent and going with option A. I'd also like to say that in option B, they talked about the um, reimbursement benefit being higher and more money. But I would like to caution that's not for another eight years that we'll see that benefit. And then we also haven't um, accounted for an option B, the relationship cost with these other care providers. Um, bread and butter is our vascular surgeons and our nephrologists um, who bring their patients, insured patients to our hospital to do these um, procedures and we haven't taken into account how losing that relationship with them and having them leave our facility and bringing their patients to other hospitals, what that cost would be also. And I know that you guys were doing research and trying to go out and talk to those physicians, but there hasn't been enough due diligence yet, I think, to choose option B at this time. Again, not saying that we don't need to go to option B. I think that's a great idea, and I think that two years, like Dr. Chu was saying, two years, a year and a half down the line, I think that would be the ideal situation. Let's just be prudent, and let's all take that step forward, right? We're a family. Please don't treat us like the red-headed stepchild. Thank you. Um, I'm Carol Morazzi. I've been at the hospital for 32 years uh, in the operating room. I worked on OB for a while when we had an LOD. Um, based on the conversation tonight, a lot of what I was going to say has changed in my mind because I too was with you, and I'm sorry I don't remember your name, in terms of the, the licensing changing the union representation and that was not okay with us. I just want to say that we um, want CNA to be our representative. Um, we fought many battles with them, and one of which was keeping the hospital open, but we fought with many of you who are in the room. 
um, and if the docs are, are okay with plan B, then we would support that. But the, the bottom line is San Leandro, we're looking at our San Leandro community to take care of those patients. And of course, we welcome whoever happens to come in. But that's, that's who lives in our neighborhood, and that's who we want to take care of. And as far as what we have say and people wondering about the hospital closing, that is red hot. People believe that the plan is to get rehab in there, and it's going to become rehab, and that's it. And I think that has fueled part of that is the recent layoffs, the recent layoffs. A lot of those nurses are still working as per diems. They're working the same amount of hours, if not more, but now they're working without benefits. And that just, it's not good. It's really not good. It does not sit well with anybody. It feels beyond Southern-esque, which, of course, is not a compliment. Um, and so that, I mean, that's the background of that. So I guess basically we wanted to say that the licensing, as you have said tonight, has nothing to do with the union representation. So I was happy to hear that tonight. And we will continue to advocate for our patients, as everybody expects us to do. And that's what we do. And that's why nurses are working double shifts day after day. Because of all these cutbacks, we, we don't have the staff in various departments to, to fill the need. But we've been there, a lot of us, a long time, and it is our house. And we will take care of our house and the inhabitants. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. I'm Linda Strack. I'm here from Alameda Hospital. And um, we wanted to let you know that we're here listening and supporting our San Leandro nursing team. And thank you for your close listening, because I can see that you're all very engaged with this conversation, and it's really heartening to be here and see that all the things are being discussed. And just want to champion not rushing into um, a situation, because as was very eloquently said, the constant disruptions at San Leandro have interrupted workflow and um, to say nothing of, of morale, but I think it was very well stated by these San Leandro nurses, um, as we say, how the physicians have their own impact and understanding and sometimes misperception of what's going on at large. And I think it's a great um, evening to be here and share these thoughts with you. So thank you so much. Thank you. My name is uh, Kate Henderson, and I'm a recent transplant from North Carolina. It's uh, quite interesting coming to a state where we see um, union. I'm not used to that. It's been a real education. It's been a real um, eye-opener. And I am a red-headed stepchild, by the way. a senior nurse, not that I'm a nurse, but I'm senior, and uh, so hearing the discussion, particularly from you, um, that this is not a um, thing that is being taken lightly, it's very encouraging to me, and also hearing from you that it's a scenario that has been put out there, tells me that there are not decisions that are being made lightly, and Teamwork saves lives, we know that. Best practice is always the best practice. And, um, you know, good is always best, worst enemy. And we want to do the best by San Leandro, the nurses there, taking care of them so that they can provide the excellence of care, delivery, 
that we see as the standard that is absolutely required in every way, shape, and form for any, for any population, vulnerable or otherwise. So um, we just really want to thank you for that and the support that I feel like you are giving to take the time and not rush into a decision and really consider what the ramifications of your decisions are going to be concerning the nurses there because, you know, nurses is not a job. It's who we are. And I truly believe that. And thank you. Thank you. And it's you. and I am simply here to say that uh, we will appreciate deeply your continued respect of the collective bargaining agreements and arrangements that you currently have. That's it. Oh, well, no, there is something else. So that is, is that short staffing in any context doesn't help uh, your mission of service. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so I'll turn it back to the board. Uh, I, do, uh, I do I do have a few questions, and these, um, these may be hard to answer, but um, the, the conversation, so I just, we're not doing this for revenue. Uh, none of us are here for the money. <laughs> I mean, we're here because we really care about the mission, but revenue is a real issue. Um, in the projections under option A, um, it wasn't as favorable as option B. Um, option B um, does bring in more revenue, but there's been some question, as was raised, uh, that it, option B doesn't really bring in more revenue until much further down the road. But, but in reality, if the nurses at San Leandro stay with CNA and um, the SEIU representation stays with SEIU, we actually have an even more favorable revenue situation under option B. Is that correct? Cool. By, how, by, by about five million right off the bat. It's five million operating and we don't and currently uh, cost the five million uh, five point two million that was for the stick and uh, was printed that we need to figure that out. So and that was the I think that I believe that was the basis of saying that that favorable operating uh, experience wouldn't happen until the out year. So it would be under that construct. Right. right. So it's a five million dollar favorable uh, what we pick up, yeah, what is it about? Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, uh, $5 million annual. And so it's not 1.2, as we're correct. saying. Correct. In the documents. I'm sorry, wait, no, it was like 1.2. Yeah, so it's 1.2, but 1.2 is net, I believe. Yeah, I'm going to have Yeah. Yes. 1.2 is net after the experience. Yes, right, right, yes. Net. The $5 million is the additional value we pick up. So, so in other words, uh, what would the net be? The net is about eight fifty. If CNA maintains its representation of the nurses of San Leandro and there is no pension payment obligation, Correct. that's a $5.3 million, million savings. Right. Yes. Favorable to the yearly net impact of this. Correct. And that's money that could be invested in capital like like fixing the leaky roof. Let's see, can we get that fixed? Yeah. Uh, I just want to make sure that we, we are looking at all of this, that, that there is a, an advantage to that. Um, okay. Um, I have a question, um, just regarding your point. So, that's uh, I told them that I knew that every time. <laughs> 
Okay, so let's uh, assume, uh, just say, just for argument's sake, say, it doesn't, uh, the San Diego Hospital can be run under two different licenses. Would you still have, you know, uh, go with option of uh, combining license knowing the revenue projection as it is right now? Just say, no, we can run so the if, if it could be run under two licenses, it run one facility under two licenses. We can't. Yeah, if, I'm not just uh, for argument's sake. Would you, would you make this uh, integration on the basis of a revenue alone? No, I'm just kind of not see the philosophical, are you doing this because of money or? Uh, or so Dr. Chu, no decisions are made solely in isolation on revenue only. Yeah. It's contextual. Uh, I think the calculus of this decision is strategy, finance, and relationship. And so we need to probably weigh all those the, those components, would be my opinion. Yeah, but this, this will not be uh, in uh, a conversation, this will not be up for discussion if, uh, if the, the hospital has been able to run under two different licenses as originally planned. And now it seems like something that could take yes. revenue in the decision. No, if we didn't have to do this, there was no plan. Yeah, the the right. issue was not addressed. The yeah. idea was that we would move it. Uh -huh. But there was no discussion, there was no determination of any of these issues. And well, I mean, I'm not talking about so revenue. We don't know. No, no, no yes, right. So the idea of saying, well, we'll do a hospital a hospital, and we don't care how much money, that's incorrect, because there was no plan. And that's part of why I thought that's an original plan to yeah. do a hospital within a hospital. Right, and that's, that's, that's something our board has inherited. Yeah, I thought that was the plan. And the revenue was in the part of the equation. So um, another point that's been raised, and I just want to, I'm, I'm I'm trying to vet this out, and I'm trying to give people plenty of opportunity, but if we were to go with this concept of option B and then switch to option A in two years, what, what's not on no, no, option A, switch to option B? Uh, right, sorry. I, I just, I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. I just can't wrap my head around taking four steps sideways to wait and then take five steps that way, and I'm just curious what the actual fiscal impact of that would be, not to mention the disruption that would ultimately happen, but, but I'm just curious other people's thoughts on that. I just, I can't see it, but I think it would be actually I'm just asked, I'm asking the administration. I'm sorry, Dr. Shirley, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, I think just at the high level, it would be, uh, at this juncture, it would be a, a fiscal impact. Uh, um, we, we would continue to forego uh, those dollars and, and, and let me go beyond and say, and operationally, the impact that Actually, comes along with that, which is none of, the, none of the points that were brought up with respect to the fact that San Leandro is a, uh, is a uh, plant that has suffered from deferred maintenance. Uh, that didn't start three years ago, that started long before it became in the system. And uh, there have been investments in the campus beyond just a rehab, and certainly uh, the EHR, which you heard one of the clinicians talk about the fact that we're trying to implement standardized protocols in a place that uses paper charts, and that is really challenging for them to do. And so that is yet another investment opportunity. Uh, we 
we, while uh, maybe some of our approaches to uh, um, trying to create structure and uh, operations for organization looks like Sutter and other places, we don't operate on a Sutter mentality, uh, but we do share the mentality that sound operations are important for everybody, and good um, fiscal stewardship is more important when you're dealing with the public's dollars, and so uh, uh, it may feel at times that that feels draconian, and I, I sort of don't take that lightly. Uh, at the same time, we see uh, massive opportunity in the organization, and we hold us accountable for uh, uh, leveraging those opportunities, and we hold us accountable for doing things like hearing about bad uh, uh, structural plans and fixing it. And it's, I don't have millions of dollars sitting in a coffer somewhere that I'm just not spending. Uh, so uh, the impacts are not just about dollars because we don't get those dollars and sit them in a reserve. We don't have a reserve. And we, we take those dollars and turn them around to advance our mission. And, and that is the impact. And delaying that just keeps us going spiraling more uh, or perseverating more and not getting to the point of doing all these other things that, that this uh, group of uh, clinicians and this board espouses important for the organization and the community. Just So um, I just want to ask what would happen if um, we make the decision around plan B but knowing that we're going to save that five million in some way, shape, or form, um, how do we empower and address some of the issues that are being presented today? So I'm hearing a lot of concern by the nurses. Uh, there's physical conditions, problematic staffing um, arrangements that need to be addressed. Um, I feel like, you know, we, we have this enormous responsibility to make a decision, but at the same time, I can sense that there is this sense of rush, and it might be because there's so many other things going on at the same time. So how do we make this decision that respect and respond to these concerns that we need to build momentum and understanding of why this was necessary, address these concerns that have been raised tonight, and uh, do some housekeeping uh, because it, it feels like we can make quite savings and we need to make a decision. Hmm. But, but I also want to give voice to the community that's working so hard there. Hmm. And I wonder if there's a way to make a decision but also commit to uh, real responsiveness to what we've heard. I, I, I appreciate the sentiment. I think uh, one uh, that started uh, with respect to this particular matter last month, we started talking about it, and then knowing that anytime you hear about something, whenever you hear about it, the first time feels like, why did I hear about it before? Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why you didn't hear about it before is to even bring it to you in some cogent fashion takes work to get it done. Uh, you all may or may not recall that, you know, a few months before it came to you, I actually was telegraphing that we're working on getting our, 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 our heads around this so that we can present to you that we see a a really major decision that the organization needs to make. So that was your piece. But whenever they hear it, it'll be the first time, and this happens in any context. So, so we started like, like we did last last month, which is to broach the subject, ask the stakeholders to start to explore this and, and, and start to grapple with it in ways that they haven't started yet, and to continue it even after a decision is made. My point to you would be there's not 
uh, at least in my estimation, a lot more intelligence you're going to get between now and you know December or January that would actually inform this decision even more. That is a time that we use to actually do this work, to continue to do the work to say, how do we address some of these things? Some of these things are not even within the confines of, of this. I mean, one of the suggestions was adding a position to your board. That's a, that's a discussion for you to uh, consider and to explore. Uh, the piece about capital, we, we, st we started having this conversation. And what I said to Dr. Chu when we had this conversation was, um, um, I regret and lament the fact that any of our assets in the organization, when I said I need physical, uh, a physical asset, we feel like they're a stepchild. The comparison he made was Highland has all single rooms. They haven't updated ORs, which actually is not true. The ORs have been around in the same place that they are uh, um, um, uh, uh, for a number of years now, but they are comparatively newer. But that's not an investment we made. The county made that investment and is making that. We don't have those types of dollars. We have a few dollars that we invest across our board. And unfortunately, that we don't do as much here because we have the luxury of not having to do it here because we have a brand new building here. But we don't have a lot more dollars. We know where we spend our money on our debt and on our pension. That's where the money goes. And so the little bit we have after that, we do invest in things that are impacting the, the, the collective good. The move that had to happen, the Alameda Hospital stuff will have to happen. It's a commitment we made. The 20 something million dollars, we'll have to do that. Right? And now that we HR, $200 million. Nobody, well, except Kaiser, came to the rescue to help us out there. And we're trying to get more dollars. And so, yes, I do believe that this, this is where the decision, my mind, your, your call ultimately is, is to make it, understand that there are some, you know, it's hardly ever going to be a small thing. But we will commit to doing it. We will, I mean, I think this, we thought of this lesson between the two medical staffs, but we can talk as we do all of it in the budgeting process. What are the needs of the campuses? We go out to the stakeholders and talk to them. It's challenging for community docs to engage in this because they have practices around and we try to engage them, but it seems it, it, it's comparatively more challenging uh, uh, when we don't have someone who's around a lot or all the time. Uh, but we do get positioned where we can, and I think we can commit to doing that and working with these providers to do our best to get their uh, voice in it recognizing that uh, San Leandro has a lot of opportunity. Closing an OR is not some, a decision we make lightly. We step back and look at the volume and say, you know what, if you're going to bring more business, keep the two ORs open. If you're not, because these providers, as much as they love San Leandro, and I've never doubt that, uh, they also have businesses around and they provide services in other places that are also doing these exact same things. And we can't not do them uh, to maintain something that we just can't sustain as an organization. Yeah, it's a, it's a vicious cycle, though. If the upkeep and the morale is really low there, then I could see a physician just feeling really anxious about bringing a sure. patient in. Sure. In our respect, I mean, you know, my favorite philosopher, Dilbert, says, change is good for you, you go first. Go first. Um, and it's very difficult when you have to face a reality like what's going on there. That there is a big decision that does need to be made. But I will tell you that in some cases we, that we've experienced just that, and it's an evolution, uh, and same as at Alameda. The whole CDP thing, uh, which uh, Dr. Chu works for, so with all due respect, we had to do because of a fiscal situation, and there was a lot of things understandably around that. But then we move forward and we 
from CareDocs who are in there. People roundly uh, uh, applaud. They are providing great care. They're very much engaged. They're doing the same thing they're doing here. I've heard from folks who I know in the EMS community who couldn't be more thrilled that we have the continuity of the same EV providers across our system. And so that change is, is really impactful and tough at first. And then you get to a point where you can get to the other side of that. I'm just hearing a lot of angst, a lot of concern. Sure. And if there's some way that by making this decision, we're able to turn around and listen and implement some of the ideas that don't even cost money, maybe, right. but just really listen to some of our staff. I just have to I just think about that out loud. We, 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 we do it and we'll commit to continue to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you, everybody, I think, and especially the physicians and the medical staff who have gotten together and met that many times since, I think, since our last meeting, and so I think that's really important work. Um, I think it is unfortunate that we have to make such a rush decision, but this is the situation that we're in, and so my understanding of the decision we need to make is around the, the license, which has the implications for the medical staff. Um, and so I'm glad to hear that it doesn't have some of the other implications that other folks are worried about. The main thing that I flagged from our last meeting around the implications for medical staff that concerned me, and I'm wondering if there's been any progress on this, was a concern that some of the physicians at San Leandro Hospital would not qualify to be medical staff under a consolidated arrangement. Um, and I think there was some, some talk about could there be a grandfathering in or could, could there be some allowances made. And so I'm wondering if there's been any progress on that note because that was the one that I was concerned about. We, we talk about it. And, uh, and um, like um, the presentation uh, I show you, there, there's, a, there's a question. Should we go for the higher level? standard or should we go uh, grandfather in the low level standard so that's a discussion we need to have uh, uh, I, my, my feeling is that no no one should lose their job because of this merger uh, there are some excellent uh, emergency position uh, being practicing in San Andrew hospital for more than 20 years and uh, just because uh, they're not board certified and they, uh, they should you know, be able to uh, continue to practice. That's my, again, that's a um, uh, medical staff level we need to uh, come to uh, an agreement to. And um, then, uh, and yes, that, that's my uh, answer to you. Yeah, there, are two, there are two questions that uh, MBC discussed yesterday. Um, the first is actually a, an interesting one, and it's, it comes from a compliance issue, in that we've been told that from, uh, from certain insurance companies, they do not reimburse if, in fact, the providers are not board certified. Um, and so that is, and we're, we've, we've asked compliance to delineate exactly what that percentage is, like how, is, is that a real thing that happens at this institution or is that a theoretical, and we, we're waiting to hear back from that. Um, but as a med staff, we actually, our current bylaws allow a provision for if you had applied to our medical staff before 2008 um, and were not board certified, then you could remain. Um, and so we discussed the extension of that rule um, an exemption to the same way other folks. Um, so there's sort of two competing questions. One is, is it a compliance building issue? Um, and the second is, how can we how can we navigate this uh, 2008 rule that we have in our own bylaws? It seems fair to extend that. Um, the question is, if they have to apply to, if it, is it integration of medical staff, or if they have to apply for an entirely new medical staff privileges and how we can rework the bylaws. So it's, I think it is possible um, to do that with, and the question is a separate one. And, and uh, I also, you know, coming to a uh, medical staff issue, I also have a question for uh, Mr. Alfini. Uh, the, uh, 
rewriting the final and revision, Skrunka actually is not going to be here. Free, uh, the really attorney involved, it could be tens of thousand dollars, it could be run up to hundreds of, hundreds of thousand dollars. It's uh, the AHS administration uh, we're ready to, uh, uh, you know, take up the cost. I think that we're going to get it from the board. From board? Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm joking. <laughs> 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 but it has a it, It's true. I mean, this is not no, a choice that either votes have made. Yeah, correct. No, I, I, I. I hadn't gotten to that point, but I think it's a reasonable thing for the organization to, to facilitate. And for MedStaff services, if um, it's pretty clear that if we have to redo a lot of um, uh, privileges, um, then MedStaff is going to have to stop up and accommodate them for younger members of MedStaff. We'd have to figure out what, what, what the mechanism was to, to make it happen, but I think you know, we, have, we have a few months to figure it out. I guess it generates a question. Are, are there other integration uh, transition costs that uh, come along with this? Mm, not that we were aware. We, we, we did the performance. I think we um, considered some of the costs that were uh, mostly driven by the model models. But yeah, because uh, uh, <coughs> my guess, and uh, I may uh, lift it with these words, but I think that whatever else may attend this would be nominal compared to the sort of big buckets of costs that we were, we were looking at. That was why you, is that right? That's correct. There was some cost related to support services, but that's a similar cost both models. And the reimbursement rates of the different because of like the lack of board certification would that be significant? Like what's the number of, you know, the, so that you don't lose um, the current physicians that there and people don't lose their jobs if they have to continue that. You said that the reimbursement rates might be low, so some of the revenue projections that we are making might not quite be what we are thinking. Is that what I heard? That's related, if you point to profits, yeah. and it doesn't impact on hospital fees. So not to, not to, like, the dish, not the dish, but the other, other, the supplemental funds. I think it will impact the supplemental funds, uh, because it is related to the uh, profits, so it might impact some of the supplemental funds. But is that a change of current situation? Uh, no, the balance of money like most of the country was dollars, but for by non-board, but sort of by license, we don't think to get that, like the San Leandro full license that gives us the higher rate of reimbursement. Right, but there's not a net. Physicians that are board certified. Did you say they run an ED? They were uh, two in the ED. I'm not sure if there's any uh, in other. I'm sure there's probably a few in other services. Because right, in the ED, typically the health plans don't go through the credentialing process. The ED is a little bit different. So you shouldn't lose revenue in the ED on the side because you can't. You can't really credential.
essentially do physicians easily, right? That's correct. It's uh, mainly specialized like neurosurgery, probably uh, cardiology. We, and there are some specialties that are still in here, but this is a direction that plans are going Yeah, most of the plans won't, won't allow you on their panels if you're not board certified. That's a, pretty much the general rule of our plans. But I don't know that you're going to find a lot of neurosurgeons out there or cardiologists who still aren't board, you know, who aren't board certified anymore. But maybe there are a few. Yeah, and uh, the, the other cost that uh, Rafi Rachel, one of the public speakers I mentioned, is the you know, if you make this uh, process uh, very demeaning, disfranchised for the uh, for the physician, a lot of them are probably not going to bother to come to become part of the integrated medical staff, and we have to uh, factor in the the loss in revenue uh, that way too. Uh, so that's that's a cost that we still don't know yet. One final point on the non-board certified folks is that it is a time delineated problem as well in that it is close to retirement as I understand it, so it is not necessarily a non-board problem for a long time. Okay, I think if anyone doesn't have any other questions, I think we're at a decision-making point. Yes, question. So if uh, somebody wants to uh, make a motion, I'll entertain it. Motion vote on the licensing issue, Vito East and Lincoln Hospital. What's your motion? Motion to make a vote on item uh, G1, approval of proposal to transfer San Leonardo Hospital to the Quorum Hospital license. Hey, this man should be clear. So you are uh, making a motion uh, to approve a staff recommendation on this order? Yes. Okay. Okay. Kind of clumsy for your first motion. Yeah, sir. 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 Yeah, if board members have further discussion. And, uh, can I, uh, I'm a non-board member, right? You are not a voting board member. No, no. Yeah, I'm sorry. All right. All in favor? All right. Aye. Any opposed? Aye. Okay, any abstentions? All right, the motion passes. Is that better, Jim Jensen? Correct. All right. I do hope that everyone understands that we're not making this decision flippantly and that we're going to continue to work really closely with you. And this board will be holding this administration very accountable to the commitments that it's making, uh, both to labor and to our providers. Um, and you've opened up some avenues for us to consider about our investment in the facility, both in the perception of our uh, investment and in the reality of it, and, and in terms of the vision that we have for this facility. And so this has been an extremely important dialogue to help um, bring that into focus and know that this is not the end of the conversation. And 
although we may disagree on the on the on the decision that was made, I, I think we can all work together and move forward uh, in as positive a way as, as, as possible. And I really thank everyone for the for the very respectful uh, debate. Uh, Jim, could I ask uh, for the record? Could we hear in February or March from the board, from the uh, staff, from the executive team, what has happened as a result of tonight's decision? I'd like to know what we're doing. Excellent. I'd like to know put a monthly update at our board meetings. Yes. Yeah, we do it because ultimately uh, uh, the revised bylaws have to come back to you anyway, so there will be something about, about a monthly update. I would, I would like a monthly update. Yeah. The, the bylaws were, were important, but I'm, I'm super concerned about what we've heard tonight. Just make sure that we respond. Yeah. And I think what I've heard and what influenced my vote is a commitment that staff made to work with San Fernando, to work with the physicians there, to work with educating, to work with getting a better understanding of the impact of this decision and getting a better understanding of the rationale and reasoning behind it. And I think from what I understand, from what I've heard from everyone today, that there was kind of a, there may have been less communication that would have been optimal in this, and so I would hope that that communication would now really occur, and that we would hear back about what that communication was, and what that strategy was, when we come back to our next meeting. Yeah. Yeah, and I would just say part of what informed my vote is the collaboration between the two medical staffs that seems very helpful to me, and so I would say, um, you know, in addition to any, maybe as part of the update would just be how, how that is going, and that that we're on the, the tight timeline, because I do acknowledge that it's it's a big ask, yeah. And while we're on it, I'll talk about what informed my vote. <laughs> I guess we're doing this. Uh, <laughs> um, um, uh, I, I chose three domains to make my decision. Uh, strategy, finance, and stakeholder relationship. Uh, option B, in my opinion, follows the strategy of the course of this organization needs to follow. The financial uh, upside was B over A uh, without, without dispute. Uh, this challenges some of our stakeholder relationships. The questions with vis-a-vis the nurses uh, and, and the MOUs seem to have been been calmed down. So I, I think there, there's opportunity for repair and hand-holding with, with, with our San Leandro Hospital medical staff. Uh, Dr. Chu uh, provided us with a roadmap uh, of four items. I think uh, these should be strongly considered as we move forward uh, as we must have been of measures for this relationship, you know, uh, between the administration, the board, the medical staff of San Leandro Hospital. But uh, that, that's how I did the calculus of my decision-making. All right, on that, I think, um, uh, what's, what is next? I'm sorry, uh, G2? Yeah, G2 wins. Yeah, so it's one of the previous questions. Oh, great. Right. Um, you know what, I, I, before we get to that, um, I think some folks are here from healthcare for the homeless, and I think they, it's getting late. Are we still back there? We're still here. Yes. I, I just, I mean, is, is, okay, do you, would, would you, you want to be quick? Could you two be quick, fast? Um, so it's on you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the information is there. Yeah. Oh, it's up to us. Yeah, well, didn't, 
discuss this in finance? Uh, no. 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 We mentioned in finance that it was coming here. It didn't get That's how it was. It wasn't on okay. the I just, all right, let's just be quick on G2. I'm going to make a motion to the G2 approval pre construction evaluation for Alameda Hospital Seismic. Okay. I got a second. Do we have any discussion? That's great. Yeah, I just have a question. You have yeah, one question. I'm just interested in why so many of the uh, GCs opted out of this. Any many variables. I mean, some of them are related to the fact that, uh, again, the size of the project, uh, some of them, you know, depending on how busy they were and how much work, you know, they had already underway, and so they just didn't want to take on any additional work. Uh, you know, there was some bonding, you know, capacity issues related to, again, some of the work that they have going on and stuff. So, okay. I mean, again, there was a variety of reasons for that, but, uh, I mean, we, we had a very exhaustive outreach to, to many different qualified uh, providers, and these were the two that, that were presented, and we developed them very closely. We provided them in a very detail on how we uh, went about the process, and it's a, it's a moment, actually, construction. And you actually have to go out and court the GCs now instead yeah. of the other way around, and that's the process we're all following now. We're actually going out and... If, if I can just clarify one thing, uh, in, in, in here, although we're requesting approval for $3.5 million of that, and again, consistent with the construction uh, at risk, contractor at risk model that we're pursuing, the pre-construction work, which is what we're really engaging with them immediately right now, is about $205,000. The rest of that is general conditions and administrative costs that we're trying to make sure that because of the current environment and the current dynamic of the construction world, if we waited until they developed their GMP, we take a risk of those fees going up. So I'm trying to lock in those fees now to make sure that when they finalize their GMP, they're not trying to take additional dollars to put that on our backs. So again, another strategy of us trying to really be fiscally responsible and save these dollars. I just want to make that very clear that that's what's driving some of that. No, thank you. Hey, Trustee Jensen, I, I know that this is really important to you and to Alameda. And do, do, do the folks that understand that we feel this is the best way to get exactly yeah. what? Okay. We're good. Excellent. Let's uh, get on to G3. Okay. So I'll uh, we'll go ahead and just uh, make a couple of uh, introductory comments. I will have a couple of my guests are coming up. So, so this is a revisit of the first issue. We went through this uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, is set forth. Uh, go ahead. Uh, we'll have to start through that. Um, the most recent site visit in uh, August of this year identified a, 
another governance finding which was similar to the last governance finding and basically has led to a proposal to for a plan of correction which was essentially the same plan of correction we did the last time. And that was to create a co-applicant board. Uh, the difference between last time is the co-applicant board being created this time is your co-applicant board. And the county will keep the health care for the homeless commission as its co-applicant board. Uh, the idea being that HRSA has determined that there needs to be, you know, subrecipient oversight or oversight of the subrecipient's actions by a separate governing board the same way that the recipient of the grant has oversight of its actions by its own board. Um, so what we have proposed to you is essentially the same model that had been proposed to you last time when it was a joint board. Uh, we have had the opportunity to speak with the county about how that would work and some of the things that would be needed in it. Uh, and so we sort of have agreement in principle that this is the way we need to go and that we're going to continue to look at you know, things that are required to meet all the HRSA requirements. You know, as, uh, they will tell you in a moment, you know, essentially what we're looking at is we're creating a situation which will allow for this governing board to oversee our program specifically, but also to facilitate the county and the health care for the Homeless Commission being able to fulfill its responsibilities as the grant recipient to ensure that we as the sub-recipients are actually doing what we're supposed to be doing here. The one last thing that I would say is what does this mean for this board? And, um, you know, as you know, QPSC on a quarterly basis gets reports on by the ambulatory SBU, and all of these homeless services are within the ambulatory SBU. Again, on a very broad basis, one of our recommendations would be that we would call out homeless services in particular within that report so that it's clear that you're getting that information. And then once the co-applicant board is set up, then we can also look at, you know, uh, you know at least one or more periodic reports from the co-applicant board on, you know, what it's doing to fulfill its responsibilities as, as well, too. So uh, we, we believe that there are some structures already in place which provide opportunity for you as this board to basically provide oversight to this co-applicant board once it's established, but we will also look at putting other things in the bylaws once we get to that point, too. So at this juncture, what I'd like to do is to introduce you to Dr. Kathleen Clannon from the county, and this is Dr. Jeffrey Seals. Doc, uh, Dr. Seals is the medical director for the Healthcare for uh, the Homeless Center, uh, and he reports to the Healthcare for the Homeless Commission. So he is the partner that we will be working with uh, to finalize a set of bylaws, uh, a co-applicant agreement that's acceptable to them and that we'll submit to uh, HRSA. Um, since everything is being rushed, we have to have a plan of correction to HRSA before we end the year. It's almost like we've been doing nothing all year. Yes, right? Exactly. So it's like, you know, like oh, yes. I woke up at 5 a.m. and I was late already. So, um, <laughs> so we, we, we apologize, you know, for the, uh, the fact that it's just being brought to you. But we, it's also, I think, somewhat, you know, offset by the fact that this is similar to what we've done before. So I'd like to, you know, ask uh, Dr. Seals and Dr. Clowney if they have any uh, points they'd like to add uh, as well, too. Good evening, guys. Um, I, I think you hit most of the important points for sure. I, I would add the, at the Health the Homeless uh, Board, we have um, what they refer to as kind of a waiver. So we have what they refer to as a waiver for requirement to the board. We don't have a, um, a consumer requirement. Um, we actually just have one consumer participant. And so um, the sub-recipient, according to her, is not entitled to that um, same benefit. And so the um, board that is created would have to be 
plus percent consumers. Um, but in addition to that, we're working closely with you guys. Um, I think um, when you submit the action plan to HRSA as well, their um, usage just kind of giving a basic framework up front, but then a lot of the work just happens afterwards. So it's just kind of giving them an idea of how you plan to meet the requirements and then moving forward through the year. So we don't anticipate any kind of uh, challenges with it. Yeah, and it's specific to that, so you will see the, uh, the, the intended bylaws and the, the agreement between this board and the co-advocate board that will come to you for approval before it actually goes into place. So, if I could ask, how's the work going? <laughs> um, any part in particular, I mean, it definitely seems like uh, you know, things are more busy at the moment. Uh, you know, I think that the um, organization itself feels like at a particularly high point, and I think that we've kind of come together more recently and um, uh, been uh, benefit to some different system improvements that are happening. And um, I, so I, I think that we feel like we're coming together in a good way. Um, I think that this is really going to offer an opportunity for us to come together with AHS and really think about the partnership moving forward. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that the way that the, the structure was originally set up, you know, that I think that it probably makes, it's a bit of an odd circumstance altogether that there would have been this healthcare for the homeless kind of, uh, in healthcare services agency holding this, or holding this, like, 330H license um, that HS is kind of separately using, you know. Um, but so I think part of the work over the past few years is really kind of thinking about how we're going to carefully come together um, and plan. And so I think that this will really be an opportunity for us to kind of continue that work and come together more. So um, a lot of the work that we would like to see kind of moving forward is really how we think um, meticulously about how um, people who are homeless are coming into the ambulatory care centers of um, AHS, um, how they're received, um, and how when they come there that the services are kind of appropriately linked in kind of the greater system changes that are happening right now. Uh, and I think that we have the benefit to do that. You know, the Healthcare Services Agency itself, um, uh, Kathleen's uh, the AC, AC3, you know, has a lot of like greater benefits. You know, I think that we would like to be able to be a partner with um, AHS and making sure that um, the uh, ambulatory care services are kind of linked to the efforts, coordinated entry, and some of these just like um, more important points regarding to how we're addressing homelessness. Jeff, could you uh, just share a little bit what the experience has been with the commission since its establishment? Uh, because I think these folks would be interested to know, okay, what if, you know, when we get our, you know, puppy, what's it going to be? Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously, you know, it's, it's a couple years old, so it's, it's a new board. A lot of the time so far has just been spent really trying for them to kind of understand what the scope is exactly. Um, and so I, I think that there's a lot that, um, you know, you guys will be able to kind of learn from that. I think that there is some, um, a lot of the people that we had kind of joined were kind of coming in and, and trying to understand that this is really about the, about, uh, about the governance of the health center. You know, it's a really about a HRSA governance, uh, a HRSA health center governance. Um, and there um, is a lot uh, that's just kind of compliance-based. Um, it's really kind of understanding uh, its basis. It's, it's, UD, it's called the UDS. It's like utilization metrics. Um, and so it's, it's really kind of been about an orientation to that because there's not necessarily like that. There's expertise in our community, but not necessarily like it's all going to end up on your board about how um, uh, HRSA Health Center runs. And so there will be some considerable focus on that. Um, and, uh, but, you know, of course, it's, there's no shortage of people who are like really kind of ready to jump in and uh, try to work on this. Well, it's funny you say that because when we set up the first board, I actually think we had some challenges recruiting people, as I recall, because I was part of that process. And 
um, it was actually hard filling the role. Um, and so I, I'm, I just wonder how big the pool is for us. Um, we won't have to do it quite the same way the board of supervisors did as far as um, by district and whatnot, like they like to do. But yeah, in some respects, actually, you know, the fact that we don't have the waiver and that 51% of the membership actually has to be uh, recipients or uh, the target group of services, that might actually facilitate um, uh, recruitment for at least those five or more members of the board, depending upon you know, how big the board ultimately ends up being. So, And, and who will handle the development of that board for us? So it, uh, initially, me you know, working with uh, Dr. Bob Rodriguez, Heather McDonald, Heather to you know put together you know sort of you know the mechanics uh, of everything. Um, Alex Bailey will probably be involved because you know that's can we, can we see that the, at least the percent of the board members that are actual clients and recipients of services uh, receive a stipend for their work. So again, could we see that our members, uh, especially the ones who are, are receiving services, can receive a stipend for their work? We, uh, we, we will need to, look to discuss that. Okay. Um, because so we will need to discuss that. Yeah. So. I can see that's a personal preference. Yeah, that's the board didn't awesome. make a decision, but like, I just throw that out there. I, I, I have great thought. I think there are ways to do that. It's really important for the target population, actually, to compensate somehow. I understand that. And you would help. Sorry, I called it a second. So, um, are there any other questions, any other information that's... Understand the motion. So moved. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Right. So, so, so to be clear, the motion is to accept the Thank you. Thank you. Thank so I guess I should look at my agenda now. Is that the end? Yeah, so it's on account. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't read them, that's your problem. Um, <laughs> 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 we are uh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>